Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to our fourth and final Cageuary special of 2022. Fear not, we will return with more cagey goodness throughout the year with some extra special anniversary episodes. I'm sure he'll have plenty of films to cover this year, so we will be speaking about Cage a few more times this year. Don't worry, it's not just... uh, relegated to january's but let's talk about this episode uh i have the fantastic jordan gray on to talk about uh i just floated out an idea said do you want to come talk about a nicholas cage film and she said to me yeah i'd love to talk about lord of war and i thought you know what i love lord of war i think this is a great film let's talk about lord of war it's been a while since i'd seen it and i remember really enjoying it I, much to my chagrin, again, listened back to the first episode I did on it. And uh, like all of them, I always go, oh, I'll probably miss this. I didn't dive into the fact that it's uh, based on a real guy. I didn't go into some of the, um, I don't know, some of the feelings and kind of uh, things that it made me feel. So this was a great, like all these kind of revisits, is a great uh, opportunity to now I'm wiser about cinema itself, why I'm better as a podcaster and I don't know, just having a bit more life experience to kind of project onto these films or see things in these films that I didn't see the first time. I obviously get to see them this time. So uh, as much as you may think, hey, you've covered this on the podcast before. As I said, all these revisits, it's it's a totally new conversation. And that that episode of Lord of War was four, five years ago. So it's, uh, yeah, four years ago. So it's going to be a lot has changed in my life. So uh there's uh, and i'm speaking to someone about it first time it was just me this time as i said it's me and the fantastic jordan gray we will be talking about this film in spoilerific detail so if you haven't seen it go and watch it i'm sure you'll be able to find it you'll be able to rent it pretty cheap uh it was on netflix but i believe it's been taken off here in the uk but i'm sure it's floating about there somewhere uh yeah definitely 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 check it out and listen to this episode if not just just listen to the episode i don't know uh yeah it's, it's spoilerific but uh it's still a fun episode so uh i guess all that's left to do is to sell some uzis lie to your friends and family about what you actually do 
exploit the ending of the Cold War and get raging with Cage. This week, we're taking another look at Andrew Nichols' 2005 crime drama, Lord of War, based on the life of Victor Boot, an elusive arms dealer who supplied weapons for nearly every conflict this side of 1990 until his arrest in 2008. This film stars our boy Nicolas Cage, Ethan Hawke, Jared Leto, Bridget Monaghan, and Ian Holmes. To join me in the seedy world of arms dealing, and to see if this film is armed to the teeth with greatness or is firing blanks as comedian, musician, and actor Jordan Gray. How are you, Jordan? I'm very well, thanks. That's a proper podcast intro, by the way. <laughs> I'm so... Uh, uh, you said I'd be G'd up. I'm so G'd up. This feels, I'm, I'm in the world of your podcast now, and I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Yeah, that... that I, I During lockdown, got really bored and created a keyboard is just sounds of Nicolas Cage. And I was like, I really need to <laughs> utilize this into some, and it was kind of like, you know, when there was that stage in lockdown when everybody was like really productive and doing stuff. And then there was me over here just getting clips from Nicolas Cage, like screaming in films and stuff like that and assigning <laughs> them to keys on a keyboard, like a madman. There was that period of time where everyone was, oh yeah, this is the time to do it. This is the t- to whatever you were going to do, do it now. So I, I started writing a, a, a novel. I, I, like, I thought, oh, this is the time to do it. I'll start writing a book. And then like about two weeks later, the internet flipped 180 and everyone's posting, you know, this is the time to think about your uh, your mental health. Just take it back down a notch. Don't worry so much. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you convinced me to put my life on hold to write a book. I'm trying really hard here. Don't take this away from me. <laughs> Yeah. But I will say that my book never came out, whereas that intro is out there for the world to see. So which oh. one of us is winning? I think it's you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, Jordan, before we, yeah, before we talk about the film in question, which is Lord of War, um, let's, yeah, let, let's find out. Are you a Nicolas Cage fan? It seems bizarre to come on a Nicolas Cage podcast without being a Nicolas Cage fan, but how big a fan are you? I expect... Uh, Put up against your other guests, uh, I'm probably a middling fan. But in rea- in real world, in a world where other celebrities exist, I'll say I'm a big fan. I I, I love the man. I think he's fantastic. Um, and I'm also I'm along for the ride. So I'm happy to be critical of his work. I don't hero worship the man, mm-hmm. but there's not much. There's nothing of his that I would switch off or turn over. If it's on, I enjoy his work. Um, and if we, we want to talk about trivia, I suppose. Um, I, I, I do all right in a in a quiz, but uh, <laughs> I, I, but I, I'm not on like uh, instant recall terms with all the directors of his films, for example, stuff like that. I just um, I, I could quote him, and I do a passable Nicolas Cage uh, impression for uh, I'm a stand-up comedian and have a bit which we could talk about later. Potentially, yeah. he's he was rumored to have appeared as uh, to be appearing as Joe Exotic in a dramatized version of the Tiger King. Now that may have, have been just a very spurious rumor, but it didn't stop me from making a whole <laughs> bit about it <laughs> for my set. So I had to learn how to do Nicolas Cage, which I I learned as most impressionists learn from another impressionist, and it was a uh, Danny Pooty from uh, or Community mm-hmm. does an amazing Nicolas Cage in an episode of Community, and most people, including myself, got 
my impression from watching Danny Pooty do it. Yeah, he's got an amazing one. And Simon Helberg from The Big Bang Theory does an absolute blinding Nicolas Cage impression. Oh, really? Yeah, he, like, so I recently listened to the audiobook of Seth Rogen's, like, memoir yearbook. And he oh, right. he actually pulls in people, like, a lot of the time, if it's if it's his parents talking or his sister or his wife, he actually got them to record their voices and Judd Apatow pops up and loads of other people. And there's a couple of stories in there about Nick Cage. And he got Simon Helberg to come in and record the voice of Nicolas Cage. And it is just absolutely like, it's perfect. It's like, you feel like, especially the stories that they are, because they're, they're, I don't know, they paint Nicolas Cage in a, in a light that he is a fallible human who kind of has those days of self-doubt like the rest of us that I guess I don't know from from an outsider's perspective looking at Nicolas Cage you almost think like he seems like this weird ethereal man who kind of like lives I don't know on a different plane to the rest of us and is doing whatever the fuck Nicolas Cage wants to do so to kind of hear this story <laughs> where it's like he's riddled with self-doubt about I think it was do you remember the Green Hornet film that Seth Rogen was in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nicolas Cage was in talks to play the bad guy and wanted to do the role as a white raster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's that level of confidence where all morals sort of go out the window. Be like, no, it'll be okay if I do it. It'll be I I'll be able to handle it, don't worry, and it will change the world. Well, his, oh, bless him. I think his beef was that James Franco then kind of played a somewhat like a uh, guy who affected like uh, like black culture in Spring Breakers. And like Nicolas Cage contacted Seth Rogen to be like, did you tell James Franco <laughs> about me wanting to play that character as a white raster? Oh, man. He's, a, he's another one, isn't he? James Franco is kind of, he's, he's uh, broken on through to the other side. Oh, he's, he's, he's got a lot of confidence, but he, he does deliver. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, think, I think he's a bad guy, though, isn't he, James Franco? He's, he's an actual... He's, <laughs> I, I've heard problematic yeah, things. He's, he's, I forgot about that. I was getting confused. <laughs> yeah, because of... Um, I often, in my mind, confuse uh, James Franco with Jared Leto. Very rarely, but occasionally I do. And since he's in this film, I'm glad that you pointed that out because now I remember Jared Leto's an, a nice man and we're allowed to talk about him until, unless something else comes out. Yeah. But as far as I know, Jared Leto's a not problematic sort of quite nice man yeah 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 a, a very self-serious man who like uh loves loves an accent as we found out in in uh 2021 uh with the house of gucci but not a bad man so yeah. uh, we're all good on jared leto um so yeah uh we, we, we're going we, we've gone down a an avenue that i didn't expect us to go talking about james franco but um what would have been the first nicholas cage film you reckon you would have seen jordan I reckon I'm a, a lifer Marvel. I am a long Marvel fan. Don't matter if it's good or bad. I reckon seems quite late. Thirty-two-year-old person. So is that quite late to see? Ghost Rider would have come out in like two thousand and six. Post Spider-Man. I was a teenager. 
So maybe a little bit earlier. I I remember though, Lord of War being the first time for um, what I thought was Rona. Like uh, not, not in necessarily I'd seen ruder things, heard bad language. It was the first time I'd watched any sort of like this grown up genre, this war genre, which I avoided. So <laughs> maybe that might really have been been the first time. I don't. I'm not worried about the, the boring back. I'm worried about the interesting back. But yeah, the the actual date of the release. 2005, I believe. Yeah, so it would have been the year yeah, before. Maybe it was Lord of War then. So that's that. <laughs> so let's talk about um, Ghost Rider. What were like? What, what what were your first impressions of that film? And kind of like, uh, did Nicolas Cage leave like a lasting impression that you wanted to check out more of his stuff? Yeah, it's a, it's it's great. Like also because most it, it's a superhero film that completely. Uh, different uh, most superhero films of that time, Spider-Man being a, a, a kicking off a lot of it, and I suppose Blade proper kicking off, but of such a different <laughs> a certificate that it was it was not in my scope. I didn't see Blade until I was old enough to see it. Um, all the other superhero films, they try to justify the science behind the character, and then Ghost Rider comes along, and it's a, it's Nicolas Cage who turns into a skeleton, and his headset's on fire. <laughs> like, whoa! So it's fine. So anything's fine for a movie now. Great. Okay. And he's, I don't know, he seems like he's having a good time in it. Yeah. Like, it he's of an age where a leather jacket meant cool, like meant rock star. Yeah. So he's just he's in a movie where he gets to wear a leather jacket and ride a motorcycle. It's like... I bet he's. I bet he's loving it. I like the fact that that film. He, you, you, and you imagine it's a a Nick Cageism as well that his character like drinks jelly beans out of a martini glass, and that's like his favorite M and M's. And it's like you'd imagine he he's probably come to the director and been like, "I've been thinking about this character. I think this is what he would do. He would drink M and M's out of a martini glass." Yeah, he's subverting the whole thing, definitely. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. I reckon. I reckon that's what he's done. Um, yeah, he had a good time on that set. And when you're doing basically a lot of stuff where you're not you're not present for most of your character's <laughs> hero's journey, when most of you is CGI, um, yeah, he's just squeezing on all the fun that he could have had while he was there. Yeah, what's interesting about that one, as opposed to the sequel, is he didn't do any of the like Ghost Rider stuff. That sort that was all a stunt man, whereas like the second one, and there's like amazing footage out there of him doing the like doing the ghost rider stuff, but like he decided to put on like kabuki makeup, so he's got this kind of real like gnarly looking like skeleton makeup he's done himself, and he's there like screaming right. at people, and then obviously they've just like CGI'd over the top, like with the flaming skeleton yeah. skull. To give people something to act next to or for his own amusement or like, <laughs> yeah, why? I, th I think it was so like, like obviously the he understood the character a bit more as well. Whereas like if you're kind of playing just, if, if you're a character with that dual personality, if you're only getting to play the bits when you're not the, the flaming skull demon from hell, and you're just playing the normal bloke. I imagine it's probably like a bit jarring to be like, what does it feel like to really like just wig out? And I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess the directors of that one as well, it's the same guys who did the Crank film. So I imagine they were probably 
all gung ho for that idea of like <laughs> let Nick do as much as he wants to do. Whether if he wants to ride a motorbike, fuck it, let's let's get on our rollerblades and follow <laughs> the camera. Imagine if of all of all the people like Ghost Rider, there was no motorbike in that film <laughs> before Nicolas Cage came along. I think this, I think it's this girl riding a motorcycle. Like it's Ghost Rider, yeah. Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> <laughs> um so what what is your favorite nick cage film jordan i really like uh i i I love him in kick-ass um and i know it's it's he steals i think he steals it uh he's is his post is he or isn't he weird guy kind of acting he's like a (laughs) spoiler if you've not seen it when he dies He's got, he does this like you probably it's seared into everyone's brains that's ever heard it when he's screaming for his daughter. It's like baby doll, and it just it, it I'll never not hear that every single time I see the cover. And it's the weirdest choice. It's such a weird choice. That was not my impression of Nicolas Cage, by the way. Um, that was just me screaming baby doll. He, like it's so such an odd choice, and but it's so moving with the score. And I sometimes think, I wonder if he's hearing all the score in his head while he's doing it. And that's why, because <laughs> on set, on set, no one's going to go, oh, can we do that again? Because he clearly gave 200% of himself yeah. in that screen. No one on set would have gone, can we try that again? They've gone, right, we're just going to have to work with this. But in his head, he's got the musical score. He's going to be like, this is amazing. This is going to juxtapose really well with what's going on. He's, got um, some, he's great in that. So, yeah. He's got some amazing line deliveries when he says, switch to kryptonite he just like everything has yeah. got like, this <laughs> amazing inflections on it and i like what is like a really <laughs> weirdly beautiful moment in that film is him applying the makeup of like because you you never see it you never saw you well i guess until like the new batman that's coming out like there was there was never that it was never clearly stated that batman wears eye makeup like you just you never saw him like putting on do you know what I mean the dark eye makeup around his eyes to kind of get that really mysterious look whereas yeah as big right. daddy Nicolas Cage you have that scene of him like applying it all and putting doesn't he put on like he's got a mustache anyway but then he puts like little extenders on the tash to make him look a bit a bit more menacing like kind of turn it a bit handlebar instead I, I never thought of that but you're so right and that's the whole premise of that film is what are the practical limitations of being a superhero so yeah that's so good that they included stuff like that um yeah he's that that's yeah that's my favorite Nicolas Cage film but probably by quite a lot as well actually he's 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 large ironically he's larger than life in that Mm -hmm. show about what it's like to be a real person yeah I I like and I definitely think I don't know they tried to replicate somewhat in the sequel by getting Jim Carrey but it doesn't yeah. quite hit, yeah. do you know what I mean? A kind of another character who is larger than life and kind of has this, I don't like, yeah, Nicolas Cage is known for wigging out on screen and what Jim Carrey's like the, the rubber faced maniac from all those films in the 90s. <laughs> like that, so. Yeah, there's, there's different kinds of, uh, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's different explosions of weirdness and you can't group them all together. You imagine just, uh, superficially transposing Nicolas Cage and Jim Carrey in any of Jim Carrey's weirdest roles, it's not necessarily going to work. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Nicolas, Nicolas Cage playing um, the, the the new uh, Dr. Robotnik in the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I, I just can't 
I think it, 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 it would be on, sinister. It would be, I think it would be more, much more sinister. I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying to think like... The Nic- darker film, yeah. Yeah, Nicolas Cage and Liar Liar, all of a sudden it becomes like a 15. And it's a lot more like, it's a lot darker <laughs> than it is, than it is this kind of, like, yeah, weird, I don't know. I don't, like, yeah, I can imagine Nicolas Cage actually fully like throwing himself against the mirror in that bathroom scene and like bleeding and stuff like that. Where oh it's... my God, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, that'd be dark. I don't know how Jim Carrey can, can turn himself up to 11 and it not freak everybody out though as well we're like oh jim when he is when he is actually schismed his personality and he's fighting himself and smashing himself in the face we're all like oh what a lark yeah it's just what silly jim if anyone else is doing that yeah we'd we'd say they've gone too far into their character (laughs) yeah well i think i think there's a perfect portrayal of that in the documentary jim and andy where he played ah yeah andy kaufman and kind of took it to the the nth degree right on what what it is to be in character and really tested the patience of everybody on that set that was it that is an incredible historic piece of film that's so good right well let's talk about lord of war but before we do here's the trailer there are over 550 million firearms in worldwide circulation That's one firearm for every 12 people on the planet. The only question is, how do we arm the other 11? Selling guns is like selling vacuum cleaners. You make calls, pound the pavement. I supplied every army but the Salvation Army. Can you bring me the gun of Rambo? Part one, two, or three. I've only seen part one. By the mid-80s, my weapons were represented in eight of the world's top ten war zones. Damn, you are good. You get rich by giving the poorest people on the planet the means to continue killing each other. Guys, guys, guys! Say what you like about warlords and dictators. They always pay their bills on time. I would tell you to go to hell, but I think you're already there. This is your thing? I'm in transport. That's what I want. She doesn't know how you pay for all this. We don't talk about it. How many car salesmen talk about their work? I'm not saying I didn't have setbacks. There are men going through our garbage cans. Is there anything I should be worried about? No, nothing. The first and most important rule of gun running is never get shot with your own merchandise. Is everything okay? Rough day at the office. We're the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And I guess this isn't about the alcohol or the tobacco. Where there's a will, there's a weapon. You know, they call me the Lord of War, but perhaps it is you. It's Warlord. Thank you, but I prefer it my way. Is this how you want to be remembered? I don't want to be remembered at all. So let's talk about the first time you saw this film, Jordan, and your 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 impressions you just, of it. That was such a gear change. Oh my god, you just <laughs> <laughs> you just came in at such a gear change. Um, sorry, sorry. Please continue. Go go for it. Yeah. So what what were your first impressions of this film when 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 you first saw it? And what made you pick it for the podcast? 
Right. So, yeah, as I, I just briefly alluded to, I think this was the first time I watched a film that was, to me, as a grown-up genre. I was a, a not a pre-teen. I was probably just a teenager when I first saw it. Um, and it didn't have people's shooting lasers out their eyes or anything. And it wasn't National Treasure. It was like a, a proper mm-hmm. grown-up. And these types of films where you don't really need to know the political intricacies of what's going on to enjoy the general plot. It's also a beautifully, it's a beautiful looking film. The cinematography is amazing. And the soundtrack from, from the very start, well, 30 seconds, you've got the intro where he's standing there and he, he sort of says the premise of the film and also signals to us that he's going to be narrating the film pretty much. Um, and then uh, I think it's time we stop children, watch that sound. And from then, every single song choice is amazing. And that stuck with me because I was a musician for 10 years and a, 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 mo- a movie with a good soundtrack uh, stays in my heart, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, well, I always like to ask my guests on the podcast to give us a brief synopsis of the film. So, Jordan, what is Lord of War about? <laughs> Lord of War is a uh, it's based on actual events. Uh, and until you said it earlier, I wasn't sure that it was about one specific man. But so it's based on the, the real life. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays Yuri Olov, Olov, uh, a a Ukrainian immigrant who rises through the ranks of uh, gun running to supply uh, basically the the excess guns from the Cold War uh, to the world. He he becomes the, one of the world's biggest gun runners, and it's it's all the trials and tribulations that come with that, and trying to balance a family. <laughs> 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 and, and it's got Jared Leto in it. And it's 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 bloody good film. You, you you saying about that aspect of like trying to balance a family? That is, I think that is the aspect that isn't based on the true story. And even then, like it's only slightly, it's taken from Victor Boot, who was, yeah, as I said in that intro, a guy who did a lot of this, like did 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 kind of take advantage of the Cold War situation and using surplus weapons and kind of was somewhat of an enigma until this film came out. And I thought, I think that's quite fascinating. And his wife said when he eventually got um, prosecuted to, he only got 25 years, I think, in the end, which for when you think about like the kind of... Oh, wow. The comparable stuff he did and what, what um, Ethan Hawke's character says, like, you will be tr- you will be prosecuted for countless amounts of life sentences for what you've done like um yeah he only got that and his wife said um you didn't try my husband today you tried nicolas cage in lord of war it like cuz cuz it was the this film that led to the to the uh like conviction basically of him for them to because it was announced, I guess, in the press notes and it's out there online that says it's inspired by Victor Boot. Uh, he, yeah, they they kind of started to really close in on this guy. And I think it was 2008, he got arrested in Thailand and then uh, extradited to America to kind of uh, pay, for the, pay for the crimes. And I think it, even then it was only because he started dealing weapons against... Um, against america basically was why the boot came down on victor boot just bad <laughs> bad timing like oh wow so yeah just the um what do they call it when it's like a, a 
the passion a passion plea or something where the press press's involvement skews the results of the case mm-hmm. you can kind of have that overturned can't you but but it's a very difficult thing to do because once you're emotionally attached to something so yeah they're all thinking oh he was horrible he was horrible to his uh a beauty uh, what, beauty queen wife <laughs> oh and he was Oh, uh, do you remember when he? Do you remember when he gave Jared Leto some cocaine in a taxi? Oh, what a horrible <laughs> man, Victor Boot is. Oh, oh no. Oh well. Um, yeah. Yes, I suppose same as like. Uh, what's his name from uh, Wolf of Wall Street? Jordan P- Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Belford. I had no idea who that man was until that film. I knew the the goings on, but I'd never heard of the man. Can I... you imagine now? It's it's in, inextricable from Leo now. Yeah, I, th- I think like uh, that's a film I like. I remember really tussling with in my mind because it's got a cameo from the real Jordan Belfort. So I was like, "Is this like, oh, right at the end?" Yeah, and it's one of those films where like I really wrestled with the idea. It's like, is this glorifying that lifestyle? Especially like having the actual guy in there is like getting that like endorsement right at the end of like this is like. Do you know what I mean he's all right? He's now like a kind yeah. of what? What is he? He's like a a self help guru, basically now. Isn't yeah, he? yeah. So like, uh, yeah, and, <clears throat> and, and he did some real shady shit. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely glorified. It's like um, when autobiographies always have. Like, I, I remember reading Marilyn Manson's autobiography, and on the back, it's, it it very clearly says for entertainment purposes only. So, and that works. That goes both ways. So, the stuff that was super shady that he's like, oh no, that didn't happen. That's for entertainment purposes only in inverted commas and then there's some stuff that they could just uh aggrandize and and make up yeah, yeah, yeah. and exaggerate for entertainment purposes so we're not sure which if it happened or not if he's trying to look cool or if he's just trying to get away with stuff but if it's for entertainment then yeah J- jordan belford's life is now like uh oh it's a, it's like um we've hyper normalized it we're like, oh, it can't be that crazy because it was in a film. Yeah. So, so it's fine. Like, maybe he did do it. And it's that thing of like uh, how different people read films, right? Because I imagine some people watch a film like this and uh, Wolf of Wall Street is a great comparison. I guess there is a there is a Martin Scorsese like vibe to this film. It kind of reminds me watching it of like Goodfellas and stuff like that. I think in the way that it kind of, it moves at a pace and it's kind of, it's fast and loose with the passage of time. Like all of a sudden it's like, it's 1983, then it's 1989, then it's 91. It's like, we're getting the whole like scope of this person's life. And we're, we're kind of, and, and it's got an amazing soundtrack. Like you said, it's kind of, it feels like Andrew Nichol. It is does. Like, um, I'm going to, I'm going to dip into the Martin Scorsese bag. But yeah, I, I find it interesting in regards to like, how people perceive like films like there'll be i guess i guess a, a great like uh modern day comparison would be like there are people out there who watch succession and go oh they're living the life like they're great and there's like regular people going uh they're all horrible pieces of shit i would never like to be like that yeah, different tiers of reality. I've yet to see Succession, <laughs> but um, I've, I've gone. Obviously, <laughs> I'm familiar with the premise. Well, uh, well take it yeah, from me. They're yeah, all horrible pieces Lord... of shit. I won't watch it then. They're they're very entertaining pieces of shit, but they are still horrible. Um, so uh, yeah, so let's 
let's talk about like the early scenes in this film. Um, is there, yeah, is there, is like, is there early, is there scenes that early on that really stick out to you as stuff that you enjoy about this film? It is, it is a very uh, tight, it's very well paced film. Um, and it, it, it knows, it's a film that knows that it needs to have these moments, like the, just the, the opening credits is, why has nobody ever thought of it before? It's so well done. It's so beautiful. You're following a bullet from its production across the world uh, through uh, while this jaunty music's happening. And that, but it's a protest song. I, I always forget the name of that song. I really love it. I used to play, perform it on stage quite a lot. Um, I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? It's a song that people associate with the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And like uh, this beautiful cinematography, everything's got like a gold shininess to it. And also it's setting up the fact that we're probably going to be traversing the globe in this film, which we do. They spend some time in Africa. The crate opens and it's the it's the Cold War and it's Siberian Russia and they open it and it's freedom fighters in Africa. Um, and then it all stops as it goes through the head of, a, of an innocent child. Like it. Yeah, it's very, very striking opening imagery. That's also it's quite garish. Mm. And it, it, it sets an amazing tone for the film. It's not a tongue-in-cheek thing, mm-hmm. but it's a sort of a little ja- jaunty... Ch- I'll tell you what, it's because we're following an inanimate object. So yeah. morally, you, you don't... You, there's no allegiance to pick. You're like, oh, okay, this is a film about the... Pro- um, it's like an inspector calls. It's a lot of evils coming together mm-hmm. to, to create the, a terrible situation that we're in. I've, I think... It's, it's, go, go on. No, I was going to say, I think what the film cleverly does with that, like, first shot we get with Nicolas Cage with all the bullets around him and kind of um, him addressing the audience, we are told that the film is like we're going to be told a story from this guy. It's his perspective. And then to like, and then we're kind of, yeah, dive, we dive into that kind of title sequence where it really does like, I remember first seeing it and that, that moment where the bullet goes through that kid's head, just being like, taken aback like kind of like fuck like yeah. what 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 am i about to watch and, and like a kind of oh and it really like grabs you by the throat as well and be like you better you're gonna you're gonna watch this i think it's a, a real master trick and it reminded me slightly that thing of like following an inanimate object reminded me weirdly of breaking bad like they used to do a lot of that with uh the camera shots and stuff like that like when they're cooking the meth and stuff like that it would be like the camera would yeah, be like in yeah, a barrel yeah. or like, do you know what I mean? Like them moving a barrel around or moving like a bit of equipment and stuff like that. And it would, the camera would be pointed at their faces like this, where it's like, you see the guy pull out the bullet and you see, yeah, I think it's really clever. Like there's that moment you see like the fingers around the bullet and it going into the, the clip. My, my only bugbear with it is it very much is 2005 CGI. Do you know what I mean? It does look a bit, like by today's eyes, <laughs> look, looks yeah, a bit yeah. computer game. <laughs> a little bit, and you know, uh, you watch something I don't know, uh, Expendables, whatever, and there's a million wayward bullets, and what we've just seen is one very specific wayward bullet that was of no consequence in any other action film go into the head of a inconsequential character that we're never going to see again, and we see for less than a second. There's something quite powerful about that as well. It's not like. Oh, and now we're going to tell you the story of how it got, how this child's life, you know, it got got to this point. No, no, that's the whole point of the film that we just saw. Uh, probably on screen, we probably saw a hundred thousand bullets 
on the floor and every single one of those bullets could have gone through the head of a child because this was no special bullet. This wasn't some bullet that had someone's initials mm-hmm. scraped on it, like you see in an old Western film. It's just one of those billion, million bullets, and that one went into the head of, of a child. That's quite powerful, actually. Yeah? But, you, but all that happens in a second. You don't have yeah. time to process it before suddenly it's, it's Nick Cage's really nice voice narrating, and that's a big part of this film. If you can forgive a film with narration just off the bat, because some people that will show, show you don't tell. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a screenwriter. That's what I do for a living now. Yeah. Um, and I, I I don't use voiceover for much, but that's because it's been drilled out of me. Like, just just show us what's happening. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> especially when it's a film, um, like something like um, uh, they do it in Wolf of Wall Street when they cut away to Margot Robbie and Bath. They're like, this is going to be really boring unless it's Margot Robbie and a Bath telling you. Um, and the big short, I think they do it as well in the big short. But yeah, so you, you need the narration. If you can forgive narration, it's it it's very difficult to criticize the script of this film apart from a couple of times where it gets like a, a narrator can be really prosaic you're like oh this is a story so this, the person that's telling us nicholas cage has lived this he's now telling us in sort of a flowery way he's had time to contemplate the words mm-hmm. he's going to use it's yuri Olaf. but then there's time where that floweriness creeps into the real life action and it and it takes you out of it a bit like people are talking too flowery for like, like early scene He's in, a, he's in the kitchen with his brother, Jared Leto, um, Vitoli, uh, v- v- I think he's called Vitoli, yeah. and his brother's chef. And there's a sign on the, the wall that says, beware of the dog. And he's like, beware of the dog? We don't have a dog. Are you trying to scare people? And Jared, uh, Jared Leto's like, no, <laughs> no, it's, to, it's for me. It's to beware of the dog in me. The dog <laughs> that wants to fuck everything that moves. The dog that wants to kill and fight other dogs. And you'd, you'd be there and you'd be going, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> All right. Like, I don't need your life story. I'm your actual brother. I've been here for your life. I don't need your life story. Mm. So there's times when it gets a bit flowery, but mostly it's not. And because of their narration, it, it, it sort of ekes in under the carpet as well. I, I think what's really clever about the narration... Just a couple of times it takes you out of it a bit when he gets a bit. Yeah, I, I, I think the thing that right, was really clever about oh. the narration is that it um, it juxtaposes what you see on screen because he is deadly honest with the audience. Like He's kind of like there going, I will lie, I, I'm a cheat, I will, I will do this, I will do that. Whereas like on screen, like sometimes we don't see that. Like he's li- like, do you know what I mean? He's kind of honest with us. But he's lying to the characters. He's lying to his family. He's lying to his wife. He's lying to his set. Do you know what I mean the people he's selling to? Yet to to the to the audience, he's he's yeah. telling us the truth. And um, I wanted to play a clip of one of the the early like moments of the voiceover where he has that realization that he wants to become a uh, a gun runner. It hit me. It couldn't have hit me harder if I was the one who had been shot. You go into the restaurant business because people are always going to have to eat. That was the day I realized my destiny lay in fulfilling another basic human need. The next Sabbath, I went to temple with my father. However, it wasn't God I was trying to get close to. My contact at synagogue landed me my first Israeli-made Uzi submachine gun. I, I, one of the things that really stands out to me with that is the choice of music. And uh, it's really interesting that Nicolas Cage begged his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, to be in The Godfather Part 3. And this film very much feels like 
this is Nicolas Cage's godfather in some some regards. It is this like crime epic. Oh yeah. That's such a nice way of thinking about it. You're right. Yeah. I, well, no, I didn't, didn't <laughs> click. That's that's what he's. Yeah. Oh, man. He, yeah, you can tell he's. This is one of those films where, and he does a lot of them where he doesn't have to do, like do very much. So if he wants to make some big choices at ra- random moments, then he can if he likes. But he's got this really like in this film because it's narrated as well. Mostly, he just gets to stand around smoking and looking at stuff while him in his tracksuit in a recording booth <laughs> from before whatever is doing the expert the explaining for us so it's just got like this keanu reeves neutrality through most of this film <clears throat> that sets quite a big tone of it as well so yeah but but it does feel like he's invested in it i feel like he's invested in this film a lot for a film where he doesn't have to do very much mm-hmm. like yeah he makes some quite quite big choices and you when he doesn't have to <laughs> it's a hard way it's a weird way of explaining it it's a weird way of explaining it but we're talking about Nicolas Cage so it's, yeah it's not an exact science <laughs> yeah I think I think that yeah I hadn't really thought about it in that way that obviously I don't know the 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 narration does do a lot of the heavy lifting in this but I think it does make up with like some vis- like some real good visual flair like some of Oh yeah, amazing! Yeah, beautiful stuff. There's some amazing sh- uh, shot matching that you wouldn't even notice if you're not really, not necessarily looking for it. But if you're like, oh, I get it. Whoever made this is a really good cinematographer. From this point on, I shall now look. Um, some angled like there's right at the end when he's he's getting interrogated by Ethan Hawke and he's like, I'm not going to go to prison for a day. Um, th- there's a weird Dutch angle where he's Ethan Hawke's walked out and he's left there like, oh, right, I've got away with it. And then they cut to the outside and the exact angle that Nicolas Cage is sitting at in the room and the table is matched with a rooftop. It's some beautiful, yeah, there yeah. Is, is a lot of work has gone into it. There, there, there's even like just camera placement. I think it's when he goes into that restaurant when he kind of is in the middle of that, that shootout. It's a turnstile door and the camera is like placed in the top of it. So you kind of get the swivel of the door as it goes in. And like, it, only, oh, right. it only lingers for like it's only there for like what two seconds the the time it would take you to walk through a door but it's just like that is that is for me that is filmmaking that is like going we could just film the inside of the restaurant and him coming through the door but it's like we'll make it a bit more kinetic we'll kind of we'll, we'll make the movement a part of it and it's kind of i think that's what makes this film kind of because it is just this constant moving and gives you the impression of Yuri Orlov's life of kind of he's always moving whether it is kind of figuratively or literally like he's like he's onto the next identity he's onto the next deal it's the next thing it's the next thing the next country <clears throat> like he says doesn't he yeah they say in the script he's like they call they call it gun running for a reason because yes. you always got to be on your toes, I think he says at some point. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. And the fact that the camera is latched to a revolving door, again, it's like another inanimate object that is, um, what's the word, uh, perpendicular to his life. So we're not seeing through his eyes. We're not seeing, it's not over his shoulder a lot of the time. It's like he's being, this is a film about gun running and about all the players, and this is the person we've happened to chosen. But it's not a super in-depth character study. It doesn't like bad stuff happens to him but we don't linger on that so much like we're not seeing a lot of nick cage pained 
bases in this. Like mm. he, he loses his brother, he loses his wife, and and we're on because the pace of the film, we're on to the next bit. It's not a crazy character study. It's an it's a, it's a film very much amazing, a film about plot. It's a very plot driven film. Yes, Nicholas Cage is great in it. I think I think if it was a character study, there would have been a lot more time spent on the kind of the soul searching to to decide to be a gun runner. Whereas in this film, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like this happened. People got to eat. People got to die. I'm going to become a gun runner. Next scene, I'm selling an Uzi where he uh, he delivers the narration. Again, it's like, I think one of the fun things about narration is it gives, gives opportunity for little quips like this. The first time you sell a gun is a lot like the first time you have sex. You have absolutely no idea what you're doing, but it is exciting. And one way or another, it's over way too fast. I, th I think the thing with Nicolas Cage and that voiceover is when voiceover is done bad, it is the original cut of Blade Runner where it's Harrison Ford kind of reading dialogue that has clearly been written there and then and kind of handed to him. And it's, and then I went on to this thing. Whereas this, like, it, Cage sounds invested and it is, it almost... It is, yeah. It's not a, a. I don't want to be misleading with it. This is this is a voiceover done right. It's narration done right because he's not telling you what's happening on the screen. It's not like there I am selling a gun. He's, he's <laughs> adding he's adding extra stuff. Um, and a voiceover narration done badly is uh, uh, here I am. Um, that that's me before I realised life could be so bad or whatever. You're like yeah, well, just show us life being bad then, and yeah. we'll. we'll We'll figure that out. This is like as you say, he's he's giving us an inside track of what he's thinking and he's showing something else. So it's a very interesting use. It shows him as a duplicitous person. So it's adding value to the film. It is a good device, especially when we're learning as we're enjoying, aren't we? We're learning about gun money and we're learning about politics. Um, I got fascinated by all this film actually I reckon triggered my fascination of the Soviet Union. My wife is from Czech Republic and she grew up Amazing. in the Soviet Union and it, it collapsed when she was a kid. And uh, I learned so much about it from this film. But then I was like, <laughs> oh, did you see any like people selling guns? She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but there was also just people just living and eating and sleeping. Like it wasn't all Lord of War with Nicolas Cage. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be showing her pictures of uh, Victor Boot now. Do you recognise this face? Do you recognise yeah. this face? This <laughs> Do you remember this man? guy? <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, that's... Uh, that, that, that's... Yeah. That's perfect. So yeah, um, but moving on with the with the plot of this film, um, we obviously he then kind of goes gangbusters, right? He kind of realizes that I can't go the legitimate means. He gets Vitali involved, uh, tries to go to like the Berlin Gun Fair in like 1983, and then we get introduced to Ian Holmes' character. This kind of really interesting uh rival gun runner who kind of seems like he's a bit more i don't know what's interesting about the whole thing of arms dealing is is the legality of all of it because like it i don't know like i'm not sure if the simeon weiss ian holmes character is supposed to be a like legitimate like arms dealer or if he is like just another yuri orloff like what's your yeah. view on that character it's the same as every time you see a high-ranking general in a film. I never think, oh, that's the 
well, maybe that's just having a problem with authority. I never think that's the good guy. I think that's the guy that's gotten really good at greasing palms and has learned the trade. So he's he's uh, the Simeon Weiss, and he's Ian Holmes is amazing. He's really good in this film. Mm. He, he's so understated, and it, it seems like really evil, like he's got some secrets. Um, soulless. Mm-hmm. I, 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 first time, yeah, I, I didn't think I, when I saw it, I thought, oh yeah, so that's the 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 bad guy that's gotten really, really good at hiding in plain sight, um, yes. like most of the other people in the room, really, in that big room, and Nicolas Cage is innocently doing something illegal <laughs> he's like stumbled into it like oh it can't be that bad people do it and they make money from it it's it's a, also it's a wonderful story you, you get so latched on when when that gets set up the student becoming the master is such an amazing payoff uh, when it's done right and it happens in this film and it's really satisfying when it's such a cheap trick like to just repeat a line back that someone said like it was like i wasn't good enough for you then and i'm not good enough for you now it's like that it's just like it's just basically just julia roberts in pretty pretty woman like you made a <laughs> huge big mistake huge but it is so satisfying that moment like yeah he's now more powerful than the guy that we assumed was the kingpin of guns what I what I love about that scene in at the, the um arms fair is not the women draped over the tanks. It is the use of uh, Ride of the Valkyries, which uh famously used in Apocalypse Now. Another it feels again feels like another nod to uh Nicolas Cage's uncle Francis Ford Coppola. And I love that when we're introduced to Simeon Weiss, we get that he like Ian Holm gets this opportunity in this to just deliver these really tasty sweet lines that tell you everything you need to know about the character and he says he says this to yuri olaf i don't think you and i are in the same business <laughs> you think i just sell guns don't you i don't I take sides but in the iran iraq war you sold guns to both sides did you ever consider that i wanted both sides to lose Bullets change governments far surer than votes. You're in the wrong place, my young friend. There's no place for amateurs. Oh, I just love that line. So good. Bullets change, like, bullets change nations quicker than votes do. And it is, like, and it, it, what's great about that is, like, unfortunately, that is true. Do you know what I mean? Like, the the thing about... Yeah, Yeah, he's, he's speaking... He's he's speaking evil. He's very cold and evil, like uh, delivery. But you can't fault what he's saying. He's not coming from a dark place in his heart. He's just listing the horrors of the world. Yeah. So yeah, he's a very interesting character. And um, so the next scene we get, like, which I found inter- like really fascinating when researching it, is when we get that shot of Nicolas Cage and Jared Leto in that warehouse, just with a load of AK-47s piled up, and they're they're talking to that guy. I think it's in yeah. Beirut and they're telling him we're selling it by the weight, uh, like by the kilo and stuff like that. They're all real AK 47s because they realized that it was cheaper. Oh man. It was cheaper to use real guns for that. Like just for props than it would be to get thousands of prop AK 47s. And I think I recently, yeah, I recently found <clears throat> out that like, there are something like 20 million AK-47s in the world. So it works out that there is one AK-47 
to every 35 people on the planet, which is like a crazy... Logan. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that scene that you just met, mentioned, I just realised as well, He <laughs> that assumes a massive amount of knowledge on the person that's buying. He goes, we sell them by the pound. Um, no, what do you say? By the kilo. We sell them by the kilo. So how many kilos do you want? And that guy's just got to instantly do the mental math of like, oh, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> 3,000 yeah, yeah. kilos. I don't know how much a gun weighs, but he just says it. It just straight away goes, oh, yeah, th- 3,000 kilos. Who the hell knows exactly what their guns weigh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if, what like, are they, are they, are they've got to be rounding up as well a little bit because <laughs> so, so, we're going to have to saw this one in half, I'm afraid. It, it's, it's, just, it's just a bit yeah. over. <laughs> Even if you like, even if you're a soldier and you hold an AK-47 every day, you don't know how much it weighs numerically off the top of your head. You you know you'd know if you picked it up, but you wouldn't be able to say this weighs exactly this many pounds. I'd have no idea, no idea what it costs. And that guy doesn't skip a beat. He just asks for it instantly. Oh no, yeah, of course. I, I thought you assumed I came here for three thousand kilos of guns. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. I'm glad you pointed that scene out because that's that's what tickled me. Well, that that leads to a scene that kind of uh, shows us that Vitali has got a kind of a, a, a lot more of a moral compass than perhaps Yuri does because there's that conflict outside just after the deal and like Vitali wants to get involved, whereas Yuri's like from that early stages of being a gun runner is like this. This is we're we're this isn't about us like we're not to get involved in and it's great seeding as well it's it's, it's Chekhov's conscience in a way of like that's nice Vitali really is nice. is there yeah saying this isn't right like they're about to just shoot like a load of kids again we're getting that mirroring of that that opening sequence like quite early on to be like these guns are being used for evil shit Jared Leto's whole thing in this movie is actually, yeah, he is uh, not not refusing the call to adventure, but he refuses the uh, the offer to change constantly throughout. And then it it does ra- so. There's no ramping up to when he's finally, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when he finally makes the decision to step in and intervene. There was no ramping up to that. It's just constantly, you've got to go. You've uh, don't get involved. Now you've got to go to rehab, but take some cocaine. And then the next time he offers him cocaine, there's no, I'm not going to take any of this time. I'm growing as a person. He's The whole thing is just hit him on this, this tragic loop that's out of his control. It's a perfect foil for Nicolas Cage, who doesn't use his guns. He doesn't take drugs. Jared Leto's uh, ha- has handed over his agency. Not, <laughs> not the actor, but totally in this film has handed over his agency. So he doesn't, so he's not, that's the, that's a great that's a great comparison, isn't it? Because there's Nicolas Cage in this. Uh, he is uh, again the character uh, Yuri. He's a hundred percent in control of his terrible actions, and yet he's our hero, and we and we're sort of rooting for him to get better and rise to the ranks. Jared Leto, uh, like um, if uh, you know, depending on your stance on drugs, but he's had his agency and his choice taken away from him because he's become a drug addict. And and yet he tries to do the right thing throughout. So he's, he's a perfect foil. That's an amazing. The right art. Oh, the more we talk about this film, the more I'm convinced it's a really really good film. Yeah. Well, I think the the thing is, like, we're obviously seeing it from Yuri's perspective. So, like, I guess like you can look at like Vitaly and be like, 
oh, he's a fuck up. Whereas like, if you kind of like step out of the film and like look at those two as people, as actual like if they were if yeah. they were living breathing people you would be like yuri is a bad guy he has basically like pulled his brother into this and his brother's only escape he thinks he believes is to kind of go into oblivion of kind of taking drugs and yeah. kind of trying to suppress the evil world that he has been dragged into by his brother and i think that this film is fascinating as well that it takes the stance like that we follow yuri whereas like you could easily see this as a film and it's interesting the fact that this is, didn't get funding by any american studios they had to go outside of the american studio system to get this funded um oh, well wow. i didn't know that and you would imagine the american version of this film follows jack valentine the ethan hawk character do you know what I mean? this, <laughs> yeah this flag the, the waving new, the new yeah this yeah. kind of like do good like and it's it's a and it kind of like it it mocks that idea of what an american film is where it's like this cop like no matter what no matter given the opportunity to do wrong it's gonna do good and it's like that that is kind of like built in and embedded into the character of jack valentine like throughout the film he's given these opportunities where it's like you could be done with yuri orloff like he he could be you could easily do you know what i mean you could easily it's like it's like batman and the joker yeah yeah, yeah he yeah, can't yeah. get rid of him because he's been chasing him so long <laughs> no but you're right and uh it it's the same where i think with the javanetto character like there's that scene that we were just talking about they're in the they, they're in the uh the beirut warehouse and he goes outside and then there's people being shot against the wall and he's like this is not our fight and there's a scene where he, <laughs> jared leto is holding a gun action movie style and it's the poster for if this film had been led by jared leto it's like you can see the the cover of of it he's like ready to jump in and do this um it is an incredibly interesting choice because it points out the ridiculousness of of that hyper-american uh, vigilante or freedom freedom loving working outside the rules kind of cop character when placed against the sheer calculated math of just yeah the moral math of, of a character like yuri olov he's like well the world's really bad i'm not that bad of a person and his bad stuff's going to happen anyway that american <laughs> uh, freedom philosophy just looks really, really stupid yeah 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 well and I, I think that like what yeah what is fascinating fascinating about following yuri is it it almost like if you kind of meditate on this film a bit and it makes you question like yourself a little bit watching it going oh i was like should i have been rooting for this because it and it cleverly gets you to root for this like quite abhorrent guy really like as as jack valentine says to him near the end of the film he's like what you're doing is that's the real weapons of mass destruction it's not the we know that the, the 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 nuclear warheads and that are kind of sealed up in their bunkers and it's like what's more of like a kind of chaos in the world is these kind of like guns being shipped around in ill-gotten means and kind of flying under the radar and just being put into the hands of children and kind of militias and stuff like that that's the real that's the real danger yet we're there as an audience in like in some capacity going oh like do you know what I mean like when, when we get that scene of them on the boat 
like when they're when... oh man that's such a great that that's such a good example because yeah like his ingenuity we we admire his ingenuity on that and what he's doing is trying to dodge interpol because he's shipping guns to go kill people we're like oh they turn the flag around oh that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. genius also right that scene <laughs> okay this is amazing there's a bit where like he he's on the phone to someone who's telling him that Interpol's coming but clearly there was no actor or director on set reading the other half of that phone call um, and it probably wasn't even in the script it's probably just his lines because we don't hear the other person's voice mm. but Nick Cage is just he's just having the conversation way too fast so he's not <laughs> giving the other like uh, who, who's coming Interpol how long have we got not long that's what what are you talking about that's not long enough it's like you've that person on the other end of the phone must have been going, Interpol, now, they're here, go, six, six hours. He's, he's, he's bad, like, I'm sorry, but it's really bad acting. He's, he's not he's not acting across anyone, so he's just, it's really, really odd. It's an odd moment in an otherwise caught sort of well-acted film. I don't know if the tension of the scene, or maybe I'm not giving him his credit and it was in the edit, and they were like, no, just speed this speed yeah. this scene up, because obviously the tension. But, yeah, it, it's, it's like sort of GCSE acting where you're not, <laughs> the person on the other end of the phone is completely non-believable they're definitely not there i i think that that kind of that that scene is a great um i don't know it's a bit of a slight masterclass in kind of tension building and the fact of like really hooking us it's like that is the first scene where you really go like i want yuri to get away with this that's when the film like yeah. kind of jumps jumps the rubicon and it's like oh now i'm fully I'm fully on board with this guy. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, he's like, he's been, and he, I think he says around there as well. And it feels like a, an intentional choice. The narration says he explains like the kind of the black and white of uh, gun, gun running. And he operates in the gray as he calls it. The kind of that area where it's yeah. uh, like, I can get away. And he, and he does it throughout the film where he kind of, uses loopholes whether it's dismantling an army helicopter and shipping it to two different locations so it's legally it's okay yeah, but obviously morally it's it's re- it's bankrupt and redundant do you know what I mean it's, it's it's immoral do 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 you reckon that the um the flag turning a netherland flag uh 90 degrees to make it a french flag do you think that's completely apocryphal no apocryphal what's the word i'm thinking is it is that a, a, a embellishment? Because like <laughs> you can't do that. Like <laughs> you can't physically do that. You can do whatever you like, but you can't physically. It, it's a genius idea, proper, proper, clever. But if if it seems more like an idea that somebody thought of in the writers' room, they're like, "That's amazing," or not the writers' room, but yeah, there, there's I, no um, I, mechanism I, on the side of the flag. Oh yeah, I know what you mean because flags have that kind of white binding down the side where they're supposed to be attached from whether it is a yeah. couple of rings on it and obviously like the dimensions would be off so obviously flags are done <laughs> yeah even it says <laughs> even hawk like why have you got that really t- <laughs> why have you got that really tall <laughs> skinny french flag what happened to your flag i'd have loved that just that yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no need like, whatsoever. Like knowing, knowing, <laughs> like yeah, why is your why is your flag? Why you got a dumpy little flag? Why is it like? Because yeah, obviously they are normally uh, landscape, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a portrait flag. So like there is There's something weird about that flag. <laughs> that dumpy little, 
dumpy little French flag. I'm on to you. I'm <laughs> on to you, Yuri Orlov. Um, that's the only time in the film as well where it took me out of it a bit when he opens the container and because he's a genius, uh, Yuri's covered it in old potatoes. So the idea as a deterrent. And then there's that that line that you get in so many action films that says, we know this is an action film. So we're kind of tongue in cheek. And it's like, Ethan Hawke's like, smells. As in double meaning of like, something smells fishy here. Yeah, yeah. Like, but also it smells of potatoes, but also of duplicity. And it's the only <laughs> time that ever happens in the film where you're like, oh, it's gone a little bit like, it's a little bit um, too... American action film, yes. in my opinion, it's yeah, yeah. such a good film that it's like it's it's really hard to criticize. But when you start to dig into it, there's some silly little bits like that that take you out of it. Well, that that is the thing of always like kind of analyzing films. I find is your mind often wanders to those things. Like it's something you could love, then you start going. I, I, maybe just my brain goes, "Let's pick holes in this." Do you know what I mean? Let's find the bits where it doesn't work, yeah. and it's like. I oh, just enjoy it. Just in like, uh, just, I, and I think it's the fact that I've watched this film multiple times and it's, but I think that like, cause the film moves so quickly, it, whilst you're watching it, it's only on reflection and kind of analysts that you dig into these things. The film doesn't really give you chance. Yeah. Even if your brain is going, oh yeah, something that wouldn't work with the flag. Like this is a bit hokey. The, the phone calls a bit <laughs> rushed. You just like the film is just kind of right. The next scene is Nicolas Cage is getting shot by like a South American drug lord, and like uh, Vitali, uh, Vitali goes absolutely haywire and does like a, a kilo of coke in ten days. I think he says like he finds him in a a Bolivian oh, yeah. boarding house ten days later, and he's about to snort the. Uh, the outline yeah. of the Ukraine in cocaine yeah. off of a table. Yeah, and he's like, he goes, uh, I was young, but I remember. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, wait, you you mean you walked the, the coastline of Ukraine? What are you talking about? I get that he lived in Ukraine, so he'd remember like living in Ukraine. What, how does that make a difference? He's like, ah, oh, I took so much coke that it, it reminded me of my childhood memory of that time <laughs> I walked the entire length of Ukraine. Or even that thing of like, even though they don't live, they, they've moved away from the Ukraine, I'm pretty sure they've got access to an atlas or a map of the world to see what the, see what the kind of borders yeah. of the Ukraine look like. So it's not, it's not really. If, a... Even if that, he, he's probably seen it more times since he lived in America on a map of yes. the world than he saw it as a child. <laughs> Living weird, in the country. Reference. Good yeah. though. That, yeah. But that is, that I, I definitely think from being around people who have done coke, that is the type of shit that they come out with. Do you know what I mean? They kind of, they have these crackpot ideas. Normally it's they're trying to, you're in a kitchen at 2am in the morning and they're, they're telling you their business idea. In this case, it's going, oh, oh God, yes. I, rem I remember the outline of, of, of the Ukraine and I'm going <laughs> to snort all this cocaine. And it's, it's just, I don't know, my... It had my heart racing because I was like, you would die. You would, what is it? He, he says like, you will die oh, by yeah. the time you get to, uh, you get to like Crimea or something like that. <laughs> it's, there's, that's it. There's so many great lines in it. It's one of those films that reminds you that we're so used to just these amazing, succinct little lines and callbacks that we would, no one would have thought of something that clever in the spot like that. But it was, it's good. There's a lot of them like that in there. So 
let's talk about the um relationship uh plot line of this film and the kind of <laughs> creepy meat cute that that yuri uh like yeah. orchestrates to be able to obviously the character of ava has been established you get that shot at the beginning of her like kind of on this it's, it looks like a kind of i don't know miss new york parade or something like that and then throughout you get these glimpses of her and it's like uh wherever i went she would follow me or something like that you get like the, the billboard i think when they're in bolivia of like a cigarette commercial and she's she's on the billboard she's kind of yeah always cropping up but and then that feels yeah that feels quite like that's a massive coincidence <laughs> she's also not a global superstar is she she's not we're not supposed to think she's like kate moss she's just she was quite a beauty queen in ukraine right that's that's it or are we supposed to i don't because it's obviously this is not based on real life that part is it that's this is a complete embellishment like so so what then she is are we supposed to believe that's an unbelievable coincidence or that it's poetic license because he thinks about her all the time or that she really is like famous enough to have have a a, a beirut billboard there in a war zone it's an odd i don't know yeah i think she's like ukrainian i'm not sure if she's ukraine or like she's a ukrainian immigrant she's also from uh uh new york as well. yes or like yeah. she's from bushwick or something like that because that's something like they kind of he uh, and what's creepy about this is he knows all this information about her and obviously sets up this event of there's supposed to be a photo shoot for her, full well knowing that there is no photo shoot and it's just him kind of lounging about on a on a, on a sunbed, kind of waiting for his moment to strike. I just thought like, and it reminded yeah. me as well, when he kind of like the voiceover kicks in and about how he can't afford the private jet and stuff like that and he's he's making it look like he's got this life that he doesn't have. I was like, is Yuri Orloff a proto influencer you know like they kind of <laughs> <laughs> man and yeah he carries that camera around and with with no one else so he's there on his own <laughs> with the camera as well that's quite weird like he's not a professional photographer otherwise he would have said oh i'm a professional photographer i'll take your picture he just goes maybe i'll take your picture with a camera that he brought just for just for himself what to take pictures of seagulls or whatever yeah. not not him and his family yeah yeah what, 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 yeah that's it that, but you go on go on go on i was gonna say what do you what do you make of that kind of like that i i think I, i'm not sure how that is supposed to be portrayed in the film are we supposed to like think it's sweet what he's doing because I, I i i see it as like it's totally quite creepy there's a couple of there's he's, he does it a bunch of times in this film where as an impressionable teen, I was like, oh, that's so, so cool. That's <laughs> so cool. But I'm, I'm not mentioned it. I'm transgender, which your uh, listeners may not picked up on because I've got quite a deep voice. When I was a kid and a boy, I was like, that's, oh, it's so cool. When I watched it back, I was like, that's creepy as hell. And there's a bit later where he goes, uh, <laughs> doesn't all the doesn't matter about all the other women. I always made love to Ava like she was the only one. And then when I was a, like a boy, I was like, Oh, that's so cool. What a nice man. <laughs> now I'm like, you bastard. What the fuck are you talking about? That's terrible. If anything, be honest about it. I was made off Shaver like she was the only one. And it only hit, I watched it again today, obviously, in preparation. I was like, you bastard. 
but there's a time when that was heroic yeah so yes you're right there's a bunch of times throughout the film where we're just being led along he's so ingenious he's like the walter white you don't realize he's properly evil until yeah the end and but but and we'll get to it of course he does descend into like this living hell Mm-hmm. emptiness thing and it's like oh he's getting his comeuppance in real time not like he gets shot because you know, a bad guy just gets shot at the end of the film you know like, oh so he didn't really have to live <laughs> with the consequences of any of his actions at all he this in real time he's sad like he's not having a good time so it sort of works out all right i yeah the, the next thing i want i wanted to play a clip of um, a moment that yuri shares with his dad when kind of uh, i think it's christmas day we get that impression that well, we're shown that Yuri is a piece of shit. Like his son has just taken his first steps. Him and like oh, yeah. him and Ava are married. Now it kind of yeah. Again, the film moves at a clip. They're they're married. Like it's it's shown that her family have like kind of uh, tragically died. I guess in possibly like the like I don't know str- like Ukrainian war and stuff like that. Kind of stuff that happened in the. Uh, so yeah in the in the soviet like times and stuff like that and then on christmas day he's more excited about the fact that uh um the cold war is over and he sees his opportunity to kind of uh, weasel his way in to get what he wants in gun running but he's Dad. Yeah, he's done the math in real time. He's yeah. seeing the, the math happening in real time, yeah. <laughs> he's a beautiful mind. He's like, he's kind of seeing the <laughs> maths in front of him. But his, I think this is a really, like, beautiful moment that kind of somebody saying, like, oh, what you're doing isn't great, Yuri. At least there'll be religious freedom. Mm. Mm, let's hope so. I think I'll go back for a visit. Do you stay in touch with Uncle Dimitri? I'm not full, Yuri. I don't think you're going to just to sell Pepsi Cola. Is this how you want to be remembered? <laughs> I don't want to be remembered at all. If I'm being remembered, it means I'm dead. Merry fucking Christmas! <laughs> Who is this, Vitaly? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that clip ends with Vitaly coming through looking like a, a homeless Santa kind of uh, <laughs> busting in on the day, which I guess, yeah, is the film plays it like it's a bit of a joke. But again, looking at them as real world characters, Vitaly is a deeply sad character. I imagine like his, if the film was from his perspective, it would be a bit more akin to uh, another Jared Leto film, uh, Requiem for a Dream, than it would be this kind of, uh, <laughs> blows this film is almost like the the johnny depp film blow but for gun running do you know what i mean it's uh it's taking a world yeah of, that's a good comparison of yeah of 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 duplicitous and kind of bad people and making it kind of hey let's put a, a cool soundtrack on it and make it quite fun uh but yeah what do you um it is a slick film. that that quote that you just played that it's, it has so much depth to it when you think Okay, so his his ultimate goal is to not die, which is which is very relatable. <laughs> like most of us, like we we just we we stay alive and we want to stay alive, so we do things to stay alive. But he's saying that uh, he doesn't 
ever he doesn't want to be remembered because if he's being remembered it means he's dead so there's no reality in his mind where he could be where being remembered could be a good thing as well so he's already so far gone and he knows he's made such terrible moral choices that there is no like he doesn't want to have a legacy he's Mm -hmm. just living right now in the moment doing these terrible things and making as much money as possible and enjoying it and providing for his family he he isn't and a psychopath he he does it have emotions and he wants to look after his family but um yeah he's not concerned about leaving a good legacy at all that's quite interesting that gives it even more immediacy and urgency all this has got to happen before he catches the wayward bullet in the head yeah and there's there's a i think cage's performance in that scene is fantastic because you get that sense of the disinterest in what his dad is saying in in regards to like he really portrays that kind of yeah 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 whatever like let's talk about dimitri kind of thing and then yeah when he delivers that line about not wanting to be room it is it is yeah because it is that note it's a lack of foresight, right? He doesn't have that foresight into what is the end goal of this. Like he doesn't understand. It's almost like he doesn't understand the the real world long term ramifications of this. And it's kind of I don't know. I feel like doing something like that without an end goal is. I think it's touched on later in the film, right? Where it's like it's tapping into that animalistic thing inside of you, where it's like I'm just good like it's something i'm good at so i'm just going to do it like come hell or high water I yeah will just, i will just i will just give in to base human instincts to just do what i feel like i need to do or just and it gets beyond the past of needing to do something because he gets to the point where he is kind of like he's loaded he's got he's got the world at his fingertips but he just can't he can't cut it off he just can't like he can't stop and it, it it's, it's interesting because it is like that yeah drug addict he's in that... too far to get out like uh, the old elvis presley quote is like he's he's in too far to get out not just for crime reasons but for cuz the momentum is so big and then there's a, a amazing bit i don't want to uh, uh, st- step on any clips that you may have coming up so tell me if you do but do you remember so it's very it's quite shortly after this a bit happens but there's just a bit where he's in africa and the hyenas come up mm-hmm. um to him and he's he he says he's starting to feel cursed uh, with the curse of invincibility and that's that has stayed with me since i've watched it that's an amazing quote this idea that you he's he's uh, a necessary evil that like the devil is keeping alive almost like a bloody <laughs> what's it ghost rider <laughs> almost he's just ghost rider but he's a necessary evil to the point where the universe has to keep him in place and in this horrible existence that he's built up mm-hmm. because he's a cog in a machine that's going to keep turning that's an amazing line the cur- curse with invincibility even the hyenas are like oh we can't kill him because yeah. he's just got to keep going and then they turn around and he's so sad but without narration that's scene just looks like he's pathetic and he's he's like lifeless and the and hyena's like oh he's not even worth it but it's only with the narration that you get the other side oh no he's all powerful and he's and he's doomed to this life like wandering as this un unfallible gun runner it's ah oh, it's amazing well we we get this we get this speech about about the ak-47 in the film of all the weapons in the vast soviet arsenal 
Nothing was more profitable than Oftimat Kalashnikova model of 1947, more commonly known as the AK-47 or Kalashnikov. It's the world's most popular assault rifle, a weapon all fighters love. An elegantly simple nine-pound amalgamation of forged steel and plywood. It doesn't break, jam, or overheat. It will shoot whether it's covered in mud or filled with sand. It's so easy, even a child can use it, and they do. The Soviets put the gun on a coin. Mozambique put it on their flag. Since the end of the Cold War, the Kalashnikov has become the Russian people's greatest export. After that comes vodka, caviar, and suicidal novelists. One thing's for sure, no one was lining up to buy their cars. Um, what, what, what's interesting about that speech in relation to that, that scene you were talking about when he's kind of... So he's taken brown brown, which like, I had to actually Google to see if it was a real thing, but it's the mixture of cocaine and gunpowder. And I think gunpowder uh, has a chemical in it that is used in like for heart medication and it kind of it i guess oh right so it opens up the it kicks your heart back yeah yeah wait so is it real it is or is is it art imitating life because of that film just like like adrenochrome in uh fear and loathing it's like it theoretically it could exist but it's only existed since that film or is it does it predate the film it predates the film yeah it is it is a kind of it is a real it is a yeah it's got its own like wikipedia entry kind of uh, so I think, yeah, I think yeah. It, it would have been one of those. Again, I don't think it's a thing that uh, derives from Victor Boot. I just think it is kind of in the research <laughs> of doing this. Andrew Nichol has probably found out that that is something that would have been kind of um, taken in Liberia or, uh, yeah, uh, Sierra Leone or something like that. So he's kind of like, yeah, yeah. We've got to include this somewhere, but yeah, in relation to the the thing of the um, uh, AK forty seven, is there's that moment when he ha- when he's taken Brown Brown, and there's those guys who go to shoot him with an AK forty seven. Oh yeah, and it jams, and it, like in the film, he said to us like it never jams. It like it's it's the most reliable gun in the world, and even that you're like. There is an element where you're like, are we are we to believe? Because obviously there's that like blue hue on that whole scene. Which oh, is yeah, brown, I, brown. And it's I like, never clicked on that before. That's such a good spot. You're right. Yeah, like like the the uh, is uh, is Domino from the X Men. His his power of in, of uh, curse of invincibility has changed the probability of the gun jamming. Like not we don't believe it in in those terms, but yeah, like something so unlikely has happened to preserve him as a force of evil in the world. Wow. That's cool, man. I never noticed that first time. And then even like, because obviously we're introduced to um, Andre Baptiste and Andre Baptiste Jr. These, uh, uh, I think Uh, Andre Baptiste is based on a real life um, leader of Liberia, Charles Taylor. Like, I think somebody who, was like Andre Baptiste in this film, who is kind of this um, a dictator warlord who kind of we're shown when Yuri Orlov meets him like very quickly. I think one of his soldiers is talking to like a, a woman who's in the office and he just shoots him dead there and then. And uh, Yuri's yeah. reaction to that as well, like he's, he is all business and seems deluded in the fact that 
in the face of this real danger and like these this pit of vipers really like i think it's moments later you hear that andre baptiste jr is like a cannibal and stuff like that yet he's like kind of there going yeah why have you shut the gun i can't sell a used gun why have you shut the gun like i'm not like (laughs) uh, yeah there's something interesting about so in in that moment in in that moment then are you because i had read it as his shock at the shooting is a real reaction to a, a, the snuffing out of a human life, but then he, but, but then he's terrified of the repercussions of of uh, you know speaking up. So he pivots and makes that excuse in real time to save uh-huh. his own ass. He says, "Is that is that how you read it, or or not?" I don't think he's completely divorced of humanity to the point where he's just thought about the gun. I think he's shocked, but you don't get shocked at Andre Batiste because he's in charge. So he goes, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a used gun now. But he's but he's adept at this point at lying, you know, and and covering. That, that, that's that's how I had interpreted that it. Is, that, is a great, that is a great reading of that. Yeah, and it kind of, it really plays into the fact of, like, how he can turn any situation to his favour. And it is, it reminded me of, like, growing, growing up as a, a young boy. And you find out with, like, certain men in your life how to how to interact with them like there's some mad like blokey blokes who respond to with their hazing they want you to give them shit back and you get that with like andre baptiste where like it's the kind of the gumption and the kind of quote-unquote balls of him to kind of stand up to him is what kind of makes him respect him and says like ah i think me and you can work together and it's kind of yeah your reading is great is this kind of in the floundering he's managed to to twist, salvage twist that and contort it into kind of making him like an ally with this scary guy yeah yeah that's that's a nice interpretation of it as well the uh you just uh speaking on his terms and then then you're in then once you've once you've made friends with somebody like that you, you don't get to change gear again you're like, oh, the fakeness, the fake thing that you did to ingratiate yourself with the blokey blokes in your life. Once you're there in that beer garden <laughs> and you've done that, you can't get, you can't change gear out of it. You're just along for the ride and yeah. whatever that entails. And in Lord of War, it's genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, <laughs> if, if, yeah, if, if you've shown a fake interest in football, you can't all of a sudden be like, anyone check out? Yeah, I'm not like, going today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, can, yeah you can't, you can't. You can't all of a sudden pivot to be like, you know what? I'm the musical theatre guy. It's like, oh, 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 that's not a bloke we met. You were all about pints and footy. Like, why is it now? Like, well, why couldn't I be into both if I wanted to as well, guys? Like, uh, but yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> ah, deconstructing uh, my, my own masculinity as well. On here, thank you, Jordan. It's, uh... it's good. It's a, it's a it's a good film to do it with. Um. So yeah. So, uh let's talk about like the kind of location shooting in liberia well i think it's south africa uh dub like yeah dubbing in for or kind of all of the african locations in this but we get some amazing yeah. stuff when the film is set in africa right ah oh, man yeah they, they um what's the word a bit of magical realism obviously with the brown brown but also because it is just a leap into a whole other world that the whole place does kind of have a um, a dreamy glaze 
like the, when he leaves the two uh, sex workers in the in in the room for him and stuff, you can have that gauziness, and it's almost like what they, they can do a lot in films um, in hot countries. The actual humidity of the air is displayed on screen like more as a gauziness. There's like a poetic license to make things a bit dreamier when the air itself is infested with malaria. Like, yeah, that is it's really nice. It, it is a beautiful film. It's a properly good looking film. <laughs> so there's something we skipped over and it's like when he's doing those deals in the Ukraine and kind of shipping off all these guns, his uncle Dimitri is caught up in the <laughs> middle of this like <clears throat> Simeon comes and they, yeah, they have this little exchange with Simeon. Instead of cutting each other's throats, Maybe beneficial if we work together. What do you think? What do I think? I think you are the amateur now. I think you should go with your instincts, with your first instinct. I'm the same man who was not good enough for you before, and I'm just not good enough for you now. And that leads to um, Simeon trying to put a hit on on Yuri, but backfires and Dimitri is killed. W- w- like, what do you make of like Yuri's and like Kate? Yeah, like where the character is at that point, because obviously his reaction to that for me is like he does seem a bit devoid of humanity at that point, where it's like yeah, he just brushes it off. It's not like like at that point, it's kind of you're, you're unsure. Who the do you know what I mean? Like the bomb? Is it? Is it like? Did he know, or is it? Is it Yuri who's kind of taken Dimitri out of the picture at this point? To that, yeah, you're right. At to, at a certain extent, to a certain point, you think. I wonder if because because his reaction, he does it a few times in the film. Nick Cage doesn't give very much when people die in this film, um, and is it an interpretation? Is that an, act, an acting choice of because he's divorced from humanity, or because he was slightly phoning it in at that moment? <clears throat> Um, but yeah, I did think, oh, has he has he taken a chess piece off the table himself? Um, has he killed his uncle? That a little aside, Dimitri is like, like when you do an impression of someone of, of a celebrity, you usually have like a little uh, passphrase that you use to get into their accent. And for me to get into Nicolas Cage, it is Uncle Dimitri, because <laughs> the way he says Dimitri, Uncle Dimitri, and if I just keep saying Dimitri over and over again, I can get into his voice. Um, <laughs> so that's another thing that Lord of War has given to my career. <laughs> Uncle Dem- yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a voice that's so like some when he's on when he's on this gear which he is in a bunch of films but he doesn't explode a lot in this film when he's in this gear he's got this voice that is if you popped a, a wig and a sparkly dress on him he'd he'd be a drag queen and he wouldn't have to change his voice at all he just has this really sultry little my uncle dimitri yes yes my uncle my uncle dimitri's here like yes queen yes queen like he's he's, he's really weird he doesn't but you don't think of it because it's Nicolas Cage. But he could he could be like a a, a, a uh, what's the word a sarky drag queen. Uh, I would love anyway. That's uh, it's so so off point. I would love to see that as like a small indie film, like uh, as I don't know Nicolas Cage as like this aging drag queen kind of like trying to <laughs> almost like in the mold of the wrestler. Do you know what I mean? Like like his life. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, <laughs> someone, someone like the Safdie brothers making a film about, about this kind of New York drag queen is kind of, I don't know, 
tussling with personal life and kind of struggles and stuff like that and then on the week that is not a bad shout at all (laughs) that's a great because that's it's super relatable and it's it would point i mean this is not what this podcast is about but it would also it it's shown of that era of like there's new drag queens now that aren't like that like you can't be just nicholas cage in a dress but there was a time when you could have just been nicholas cage in a dress and that passed for drag now it's all super hyper realistic and makeup and all that stuff so him not yeah, him like falling out of the times and like yeah. losing his relevance. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> Hollywood, that's Hollywood, that's let's get on the phone. Uh, we, we, yeah. We've got, we've, we've got your next big picture sorted. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's like, what other aspects? Is there certain scenes of this film that you kind of really want to want to dive into in this conversation? There's just some amazing moments like that I just haven't seen before. When the um, when he leaves him for 24 hours in the Sahara, that's probably not the geographic location, but when, when he's there and you see the time lapse of the people um, taking apart the plane, that's got to be a real, not a real plane, but a, a real prop, right? That's got to be a set. That's got to be a to scale, mm. like like polystyrene foam plane, right? Because that's, that's real. What you're seeing is real. They might have, they, they, maybe they've um, superimposed in the fire or whatever. Yeah. And they could have done it against the green screen. But that's a, in real time, a bunch of people taking apart a plane. It's amazing. It's a great shot. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I love that kind of interaction we get between uh, Yuri and Jack Valentine, where they're kind of, it's set up like he, he he's just really, like he's playing. He's doing what he does, Jack Valentine. He's playing within the rules and he knows that he can hold him for 24 hours. So just like, he's going to make him suffer. He, he knows kind of, and um, I think there's an amazing line around that point as well when he's like giving away the guns and he's like, what would take a, uh, <laughs> what would take a Heathrow like uh, luggage crew a day Oh yeah. Do? I, uh, like African, like yeah, Sierra natives did in ten minutes, and then see, like yeah. he has that philosophical idea of the plane being taken just being like life itself. That everything just kind of goes back into the earth, and it needs to like disappear yeah. and dissipate. And it's like I don't know. You get like this poetic aspect to the character of Yuri, where it's like he does just understand there is this ebb and flow of things. And it's like, I don't know, as much as he tries to control it. And this is at a point where things are starting to spiral out of control, right, for for that character. Because I think it's very soon after we get that amazing shot of the plane being deconstructed that we get Jack Valentine trying to uh, appeal to Ava's kind of good nature to to take yuri down right and it's very tenuous what he says he goes um i heard your your parents died tragically right yes well it was no and then he has the newspaper article of it like her parents died which is a proper left field he's like i've got this news (laughs) this news clipping of your parents and he goes it's men just like your husband that sold them the guns that did it like all right yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's it's quite yeah it's a few steps removed but sure but it seems really unnecessary thing to bring up like 
he's trying to appeal to her emotional side. It just felt like one step removed from important enough to stay. Like, yeah, he sold the, it, it, like in my mind, it's like if, if they'd been hit by a car, he could have been like, well, your husband is the man that sold the car, you know, or like he's, you're the, your husband is the man that, that uh, works at the petrol station yeah, yeah, yeah. where they fill, build up the car. We, we get that. That's the point of the film, but it just felt, it felt a little bit tenuous to me. Um, Yeah. Go on. No, I was I, I I was just about to say yeah. There's there's that scene as well where um Yuri is presented Simeon by Andre, which is what <sighs> leads him on to taking the brown brown, which which is again like uh, a real a, a, like him being confronted like firsthand with what he's doing because up until this point it's like. And it, it kind of, again, it's tapping the audience on the shoulder being like, oh, yeah, you've been enjoying this because it's kind of you're one step removed from the kind of the violence of it all because you're just following this man who, for all intents and purposes, we could be showing you him say, selling sofas across the world and doing really well and you're kind of all invested. But now it's like, yeah. well you get to fire one of your bullets and like take out your opposition here who's obviously come i guess out of spite to sell to um andre baptiste's enemies just to kind of get one yeah. over on yuri which is like oh real juicy stuff but yeah that scene is is i don't know it's fucking harrowing it, yeah it is extremely and then for it to then devolve into sort of this dreamy sequence where you then see him standing up with a hole through his head talking and stuff it's like um it's like he, he uh olaf's brain trying to cope with that stress of it to try yeah uh to retroactively justify everything he's doing and it's like uh like his brother the only way you can actually process those kinds of interlaying evils and yeah. and the real world ramifications is for it to be a dream or for it to be uh lacquered with a gauzy drug sort of fueled haze i mean they are brothers they're brothers in arms they say it a lot don't they i don't know i can't remember what they say but 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 i can't well i can't i can't speak ukrainian so why would i even bother to try and summon a piece of information but um yeah it's natural that they would go that they would go to the same place uh, he didn't he reluctantly took that drug but he could have not done it as well <laughs> like he could, yeah. could have he, if he can if he can trick people across the country he could have like <laughs> well that guy's like you should probably take it otherwise like that, i guess the implication being they'll be insulted if you don't take it and also it's your gunpowder he could have like just lent it away <laughs> to pretended to take it and then <laughs> turned around and gone yeah thanks that was nice but he actually took it so there's that would imply that he was looking for that escape as well and you know they are brothers so it's natural they would both have that same inclination to avoid the evil by diving into drugs yeah and that kind of i don't know like it, it, it's it's a it's a metaphysical representation of what he's done by shooting simeon as well it is this like uh the gun the the, the guns are now a part of him as well do you know what I mean like the it is it is the point yeah. of no return like he he is one and the same with the weapons that he is selling yeah. in this weird way that like he's ingested. Do you know what I mean? It's in, it's a part of him. It's in his bloodstream, the, this gunpowder. And it is, it is the, yeah, he's just, he's 
He's over. Oh, he's over the that's rainbow. Incredible. Do you know what I mean? He's over so, the rainbow. Sorry into, to yeah. Into the into the land. Sorry of to, to, to to talk over you there. Oh, I think we've got a little bit of a day more than usual. Sorry to talk over you there, but again, that is a beautiful observation that I didn't click. So he's loaded himself with gunpowder. Yeah, you're so right. He's become the instrument of war that he sells. There is no, it, he couldn't get closer to the product by that. Yeah, unless you you know loaded himself up with bullets. That's so good. That is a genius bit of writing. Oh my god, that's wonderful. And then what 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 transpires when he gets home as well? Obviously, him thinking his life is is on the skids as it is. Is Ava is now party to what he's doing, and she like again again. As much as this film relies on narration, there's like there is visual storytelling. Like her kind of the choice, and it, it's tastefully done as well. But of her just being like completely naked and her kind of like telling him like none of this i can't wear any of this and it, it really speaks to that like repulsion you feel if like i don't know yeah if if you were in that situation where it's like everything in your life is a lie and you you can yeah i, I can some like it's a physical representation of that that ick you feel about something and it's like for her it's i need to shed physically shed like shed this life but, but like she she again she's trapped and it, it goes into like his his lies and they they have this exchange when they kind of he can she confronts him about the, the gun running please stop it makes no difference if i stop Someone will take my place the next day. So let them. We have enough. It's not about the money. And what is it? I'm good at it. Oh. Yeah. Which is, which, which is like just the the real kicker, isn't it? Just that thing of like, you are so deep in it that like there is no way out of it and just i don't know like it's, it's a very weird comparison but like as a smoker like i just have that thing where it's like i know the ills of it i know what it's doing to my body but it's like that thing you you fool yourself and convince yourself but i like it do you know what i mean i i, I like i like <laughs> doing it and it's like I, I, yeah yeah there's something quite insipid about your brain being able to uh, compartmentalize and justify it because then that's something higher than your own logic. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a carnal thing in your body that's saying like, I, I, I can fool myself into thinking that it's sort of okay because yes. you want to do it exactly. Cause he just want, he, he's enjoying it. He wants to do this. Yeah. And that, 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 that does spur him to go straight as it were trying to sell i guess he's selling like lumber and stuff like that and interpol (laughs) interpol are listening into everything and um and then yeah uh what is it uh andre and his son come to visit yuri in new york and like kind of it is that (laughs) it is that godfather thing again of like just when i thought i was out they drag me back in like he thinks, yeah, he's out, he thinks he's yeah. out of the life and he's, he's on the straight and narrow. And I guess, yeah, th- this is where the film starts to hit its conclusion, right? Because we get 
I, I think, I, yeah, I I think that uh, Bridget Monaghan as Ava is fantastic in this film, and she really gets to. I think she really gets to shine in the kind of latter stages of this film. What do you what do you make of her performance in this? Yeah, because she's sort of uh, like she's introduced early, but without dialogue or anything. We just we we know what she looks like. <laughs> so she's it's quite late in the day that they're seen. If it, well, it feels like a long time until she's on screen, um, and then it's sporadic. And yeah, she it's easy to fall into the trope of just having the female character there to ask the man what he's doing and to get him to, um, you know, uh, what's, ruminate on his feelings. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, her humanity does creep into it. If she wasn't there, it might feel a little bit more like that cool vigilante storyline of like, no, he might still get away with it. He's like Dexter, <laughs> like we, he, he still, he might still get away. But she is there to constantly remind us, um, you know, that there is every other character in it has got these duplicitous means, or their blood is filled with drugs, or like that. So they're not of their right mind, or they have a duplicitous. Uh, they they're adjacent to crime or evil and she's not she's this beautiful she, she, and it doesn't hurt that she's beautiful so she's like a walking angel incarnate that is i mean the only um uh sin that you could blame her for is perhaps uh naivety like a little bit of naivety and hubris and she gets over that in the film that's the conclusion of the film is we see her uh she she doesn't allow herself to keep believing it for any longer. She's incredibly admirable because she's become accustomed to a certain type of lifestyle. And all of that does shine through. So so for a character that could have just been expositional, it is an amazing performance. And yeah, it, at the, at, at, there is still that little turning point where she's sitting in the back of the car and she says to the, uh, the taxi driver, oh no, hang on. So she says to the taxi driver, like, follow him at a certain point. Oh, like, that's the guy I want to follow him. Yeah. And she's saying to the kid, like, the kid's like, what's well, that kid? Is is I mean, never work with actors and uh, with um, never work with actors, never work with animals or children. But for his like one line, he's pretty good. It's pretty good little little line he does. Yeah, um, I, I was I, I was unsure of like how old he was ever supposed to be, or like kind of did he stop <laughs> aging at one point? Like, so obviously they just use yeah an array of different child actors for when he has his brief moments on screen. But I was like. At that moment, I was like, right, has the film slowed down in time? Is he supposed to be older than that? Obviously, he was born in 91. This, I guess this around this, he's a... Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to, like, doing some... Men- like, do- trying to do the mental math on it, going, should he be Should he be older than this? Should he be, like, maybe... I don't, but yeah, no, yeah, he would have been, like, the same age as me, basically. So, uh, it, like, I was like, he would have been... Uh-huh. This would have been 2000 two-ish like he would have been 12 yeah maybe he would have been a bit taller i don't know maybe again that's me just being like <laughs> looking for things to, to gripe about projecting um it's that's so weird though when you get to move post 2000 anything post 2000 just feels too modern to be in a historically <laughs> like yes like to be uh, in, a, in a film that's about the past like if you saw that uh that limited drama series about chernobyl um and there was like robots. They brought in robots and they put them on the ceiling to get rid of some of the nuclear waste. And I'm like, how are there robots in a historically accurate drama? That's too modern. It's just too modern of a thing. Yeah, the fact that this was all happening after the year 2000 just it feels too too soon, doesn't it? Yes, and I I think I think the what's really important about this film is 
the cultural and kind of contextual time in which it came out because obviously this film is trying to speak to what is happening in the world at the time obviously this would have been post the iraq the invasion of iraq and the kind of post yeah post 9-11 so yeah would have been very much it would have been um andrew nichols speaking to that kind of using a tale or somebody who did this before and obviously probably I think there's a line in the film that he never sold to Osama bin Laden. The real guy did sell to Osama bin Laden. Like uh, he kind of sold ah. to, sold to everyone, but at the same time was selling to uh, America. And I think I think it's I think it's now been found out that even America was selling to the Taliban at, at some point when they were not fighting Americans, basically. So so it's all it's all, it's all a weird. I think yeah, arms deals and kind of yeah. And we get that title at the end, right, where it says that the biggest, the biggest dealers in arms is like America, UK, China, and stuff like that. It's like kind of we're the yeah, like the audience is almost yeah. like the the people you have in power. The blood we're is complicit, on, yeah, yeah. Is the blood is on their hands as especially, well? Especially, especially since we've just watched and rooted for a gun runner for like an hour and a half, and like he's our hero, he's our protagonist, and we've hoped that he'd make it. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, you end like, oh no, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm part of the problem. I'm literally part of the problem. They've just told me, and maybe I shouldn't be rooting for him. Um, the uh, the scene. So yeah, they're they're in the taxi. She follows him, uh, and I think through, maybe it's that scene, or maybe it's a little bit before. Uh, Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah is playing, and I personally think that is the greatest yes. uh, recording mod, piece of recording uh, of modern music that exists. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and you see all of his all of his passports, all of his guns. I'm sure, I'm just trying to remember how that film kind of closes out his, before his, the chat with Ethan Hunt before before them. Yeah, it, it's his uh, catalogue of carnage. He calls it. Oh yeah. My son's birthday unlocked with the government would later describe as a catalogue of carnage. <laughs> I just thought that was a that, oh, yeah. was, a, that was a perfect uh, a perfect summation of what it was. Um, so yeah, obviously. Yeah. she's wise to him but then he is pulled in for this one last deal and see well he thinks it's just in liberia for andre baptiste but then he's kind of hamstrung and told no you've got a you've got to take these guns to sierra leone and then vitali is brought back in he's had been brought back into the fold and this is where obviously we mentioned earlier about chekhov's conscience and vitali it doesn't sit right with him that obviously he sees just over the hill of where they're doing this deal that there is a camp and again there are there are acts of real brutal violence towards people in this and you get that that child and mother packed with machetes like by some kind yeah. of militia rebels off of a off of a pickup truck and it's 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 horrible and it's again it's a real like shake on the shoulders to the audience that like you're still rooting for this guy it, it is the breaking bad effect <laughs> i think i think i think this this film does pair well with like the, that breaking bad thing like it's constantly asking you throughout like are you still on board with this guy at what point are you no longer on uriel offside and it, it, yeah it really tests and if you. there wasn't a um if there and if there wasn't a an Aaron Paul or a Jared Leto, which is 
to say uh, perhaps a a younger and to say a uh oh, traditionally more aesthetically beautiful human like a, a sort of a more prototypical action hero mm-hmm. person to their side that is condemning it it might be a completely different outcome of a film like you may still have got through that like ah oh, yeah but you know there's always going to be collateral damage <laughs> but because our the younger action there's there's still little little eeks of of hollywood day like when you're not sure when you're watching a film especially a film that's being narrated and you're kind of going along with what's what's being said and you're being led along and you're being spoon-fed a little bit it's a like it's a beautiful looking film the scripts action guns blown up you do kind of then defer to the attractive young yes. <laughs> action hero in times of moral crises you're like well he says it's bad and he's slightly more attractive than Nicolas Cage <laughs> so so how does how does yeah. this deal play out and what does what does inevitably Vitaly's conscience lead him to do Jordan oh man he's he's unsure and he goes and has a look and then he says can I have a word with you Nicolas Cage which is an odd choice uh, to be so fourth wall breaking uh, he, he takes him aside and he says look, they're going to die if you sell these guns. Don't sell those guns. And then Yuri says, well, for the millionth time, this isn't our fight. But it actually is right now happening in real time. We're going to sell these guns. We're part of the fight. But he doesn't say that. So uh, Jared Leto, he sneaks away and he nicks a hand grenade. Two hand grenades. Um, And I was confused about the science of the hand grenades. He he takes one out and just throws it and it blows up straight away uh, and blows up half the shipment, which is important to the story. And And then he pulls the other pin out, but gets shot a bunch of times. So he, he sort of effectively dies. He's not going to recover from that. And then Nicolas Cage comes along and just puts the pin back in and everything's fine. So I, I guess I have to defer to the film, but that's how it works. <laughs> I just I, felt it was a bit weird. Like I thought, go on. I think that grenades like, so traditional grenades have like a kind of hand, pr- like a pressure pad on the side that you hold down as you kind of throw them. So it's once that is released that the timer kind of comes in. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind of five seconds. So, so okay. if you're holding, so as long grenade, as he's holding it. Yeah. Which again, I'm sure if you were shot, you would have let go of that grenade at that point. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure like the body would not have <laughs> yeah. let you like in involuntarily, you would have gone, Ugh! do you know what I mean? Your hands would have opened and that, 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 that grenade would have just flown anywhere not not where you yeah. not where you wanted it but i think that at- not where you wanted it and he, he took he took quite a few bullets he took a scat two two people's scattering of bullets before he went down it's pretty good it was pretty good shooting and, cinematically and it adds to the the pantheon of films where jared leto dies as well i think i think it's kind of uh <laughs> it's, it's somewhere in his early contract it's like fight club yeah i'll die Nord of War, yeah. yeah, I'll die. Give me a death, like is a, it's gonna, it's good, it's a good it, it was him, it was him on his way to being like full. Give me an Oscar in every movie he does, whether it's uh, Dallas Buyers Club or House of Gucci, where it's like I need to do something where people like uh, are give uh, are giving me, yeah, uh, are giving me the attention to 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 to, to, warrant, to warrant awards. But what like what are your thoughts on? On Jared Leto, because I, I guess, like, talking of da- Dallas Buyers Club, like, that was quite a divisive That film. was a beautiful, rep- yeah, it's a beautiful representation. So, uh, like, I am transgender, so I get people forwarding me stuff a lot. And when that film came out, everyone wants to 
I think sometimes they want to ask me to make sure if it's all right to like something. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's great. It's great representation. People perhaps worry um, that there should be more transgender people in transgender roles. And so why give it to some straight white guy? I was like, yeah, but like, I was a straight white guy. So at some point in a film, it's like Eddie, Eddie Redmayne playing it. It's like, yeah, make, it makes sense. Like for him to, if half the film is going to be a man, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it could be a man, that's fine. Anyway, Jared Leo, I thought was amazing in that. Also, a former musician that I am, I had huge regard for him as a lead singer of uh, his band, 30 Seconds to Mars. He's Isn't he one of very few people to have won that crossover award of like, greatest musician and greatest act it's 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 a specific award that's given to people that cross over from music to acting yeah I so think, successfully because platinum think, selling albums he's on his way to get a e the e got right which is I, i'm sure he's probably got a <laughs> yeah he's got an oscar yeah yeah all he needs to win now is a tony and an emmy so once the he tony kind of award. Once he like uh, slumps down into doing more t- like does some TV roles, he might get a t- he might get a, an yeah. Emmy. And what is Tony? Is that is that kind of musical like uh, music? I think Tony's music. Um, isn't that also for uh, written music? Is it? I, don't know, I think you I think you win a Tony for musical recordings that are used in film. Oh. I, maybe maybe not. Tony Tony's definitely music. Um, yeah, Jared Leto, Egoin. I've got, I like him. I like him. And uh, he, he's, he's good in this film. And I've not seen him turn in a terrible performance. I don't know. <laughs> like, I really like the Joker. I, 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 it's skirted over me why people hate him so much as the Joker. It's very difficult to compare yourself to now Whacking Phoenix, but also Hugh, Hugh Hefner. My brain is scrambled. Heath um, who played, who played, Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger, not Hugh Hefner. Uh, um, uh, Heath Ledger, of course, difficult to compare yourself. And then Jack Nicholson, but even that, it's not, that's a very cartoony performance. Um, Yeah, so he just came along at a bad time. And they really stiffed him on it as well. He was supposed to have uh, potentially played it in the solo film or something else. And and also, if you see the the Zack Snyder release of the Justice League, I thought his Joker in that was pretty amazing. Like, but maybe I'm just too much of a superhero nerd that I'll let things slide that other people really don't like. <laughs> I thought he's great. I thought he was really good. He did his own thing. He was like a, a cool, young, swashbuckling joker. I, you I, know, he had his hair slicked back. I think my issue with Jared Leto in regards to um, his portrayal of the joker, it's not even his portrayal of the joker. It's kind of the the surrounding stuff where he was like sending people like, pig heads and do you know what I mean like really really taking method acting too far and just being like se- sending people I think it's like I don't know condoms of spit in it just to like really antagonize people and it's like it gets it gets to the point where it's like get out of your own ass just like turn up like yeah it's the it's the classic that's uh, added an well, an extra layer of of insecurity there because if he'd been the first to do that, people might have said, "Wow, he's really committed." Yeah. But because um, because was it was it Hugh? A lot of people that there's apocryphal tales, not apocryphal. There's there's stories about uh, uh, Heath Ledger being in character a bit much and freaking people out. Mm-hmm. And Whacking Phoenix notoriously incredibly methody, but that's that's post. Uh, 
um, Jared Leto. That stinks of like other people did it, so I should do it and try and do it better. It's like he's got license to do it. So it's almost like insecure that he wanted to be super method because that's how you play the Joker. Playing the Joker is his own thing now. It's got its own mythology, obviously. If you die playing a character, that's yes. going to be, that's a tall order to fill. Yeah. I, 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 like, I personally, I, I understand, like, I almost understand people's hate for Jared because there's a lot of hate out there for him. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the music, but like, after seeing him in like House of Gucci, I just think he's he's fun. Like and it is that thing of like <laughs> he does take himself way too seriously, but like him basically playing like a live action doing like Mario's voice for Paolo Gucci is like and <laughs> him just his line delivery in that film is fantastic. And I think this film, again, it's not it's not Jared Leto being overtly big in any way. I think he plays that kind of fuck up in this film really well. And he plays the kind yeah, of the, the, the voice of reason and conscience fantastically well. I think, I think like it's, it's the thing uh, in, I don't know, the people who hate him, like when they watch fight club go like, oh, I'm glad to see him get his face punched. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I think that's just the fact that he's a, a very talented, pretty man. So, like, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They just people just want to keep the world down. They just want to watch the world burn. Um, he uh, he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting emotionally in this film. Nicolas Cage watches like four people die. Yes, <laughs> and apart apart from that one where he's within like like winging distance of the bullet, where he has a natural reaction to be he could get shot as well. When Andre Petit shoots that guy, apart from that, he doesn't give very much away. Mm. He watches. Including his brother, doesn't give very much. I mean, it's the most emotional out of all of them, as well it should be, after we've seen him and his brother the whole time. Jared Leto, the first time we see those people get shot, and he's watching through the gap when the, the lineup's being shot really early on, and it's the first time we see somebody maybe taking a stand, and Nicolas Cage is like, no. He's, he react every single time anything bad happens. His face is properly lit up. He's, he's committed. He's doing a lot of the work for us. Yeah, and like, um, I think... It, what I really care about is death in this, and obviously, like when, yeah. like the di- like, and what's heartbreaking about it is the fact that Yuri goes ahead with the deal and kind of like he, he just makes even in the voiceover, kind of flippantly makes a remark like, "Seeing it as it was half the shipment, it was only half the pay," and uh, just like goes on. It's just another day yeah. at the office for him, and then like he gets back and like you heard in the trailer all that time ago in this episode, like. He's stopped by the ATF and he's like, oh, I guess it's not about the alcohol and tobacco. It's about the firearms <laughs> while he's stopping me. Which leads That's us good. to the end of this film and that kind of, that great, I love the fact that we get those snippets of like the, them, like Ethan Hawke and Nicolas Cage like together. There's those kind of like uh, to and fro's throughout it. But then it just, I don't know, it's, <laughs> it's weirdly like this, it's like a kind of, sexual tension almost but like of this kind of this tension that's built up like oh, i just want to see these guys go at it do you know what i mean it's like that thing but not like like in a kind of like a battle of wits and kind of really have it out and i think yeah that that kind of that explosion we get at the end and it is quite like mild mannered i just wanted to play a clip i think it's a, a longer clip but it is it is a brilliant clip of uh, those two together in that final scene. Are you paying attention? Or are you delusional? You have broken 
every arms embargo written. There is enough evidence here to put you away for consecutive life sentences. You are going to spend the next 10 years of your life going from a cell to a courtroom before you even start serving your time. I don't think you fully appreciate the seriousness of your situation. My family has disowned me. My wife and son have left me. My brother's dead. Trust me, I fully appreciate the seriousness of my situation. But I promise you, I won't spend a single second in a courtroom. You are delusional. I like you, Jack. Well, maybe not, but... I understand you. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And then this way you can prepare yourself. Okay. Soon there's going to be a knock on that door and you will be called outside. In the hall, there will be a man who outranks you. First, he'll compliment you on the fine job you've done, that you're making the world a safer place, that you're to receive a commendation and a promotion. And then he's going to tell you that I am to be released. You're gonna protest. You'll probably threaten to resign. But in the end, I will be released. The reason I'll be released is the same reason you think I'll be convicted. I do rub shoulders with some of the most vile, sadistic men calling themselves leaders today. But some of those men are the enemies of your enemies. And while the biggest arms dealer in the world is your boss, the President of the United States, who ships more merchandise in a day than I do in a year, sometimes it's embarrassing to have his fingerprints on the guns. Sometimes he needs a freelancer like me to supply forces he can't be seen supplying. So, you call me evil. But unfortunately for you, I'm a necessary evil. What do you make of that scene, Jordan? So for me, I think it's it's, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's that it's a, a total flip on the obligatory scene that we would expect from a uh, two opposing sides of a war or, or a crime coming together. It's like uh, it's not seven you know, where the, he's standing there holding the head of someone in a box and Brad Pitt's there with a the gun pointed at him. It's, it is the mental gymnastics that are happening. And to, for it to be revealed to us that Nicolas Cage won this before he even walked into the room, that, that Yuri Olov has, has already won this. And that's why he's always been able to make these little japes and jibes. And while he, while he was able to sit there for 24 hours, like, this is boring, not this is death-defying or this is my life over, or like I've been caught that he's just another day in the office. Um, he's amazing that they reveal and and for a little Ethan Hawke to be like, his <laughs> everything is built up. It's a really interesting um, uh, a technique as well, like cinematographically, not a word, but we'll use it. Um, that we're seeing what they're saying played out for us visually so you're hearing the, it goes back to voiceover but from this meeting they're talking to each other nick nick's cage voiceover is used to describe something that's about to happen in two minutes time which we then physically see and they're jumping backwards and forwards between 
the reveal so we know that what he's saying is true yes. it's not like suddenly potentially um someone's going to come in no or it's not like ethan hawke could suddenly get a gun and go well then you have to die because you are evil or you're right about all this and he suddenly turns and he's the villain no it's just real um fate his fate is sealed and nicholas cage is outside of fate in this regard he's he's a necessary evil to the world and money speaks louder than their morals and morals and fate and destiny every you know if there's money turning if uh, money greasing the wheels of it all then uh, he's indestructible it's so amazing it's great it is a good good closing scene and is a nice sort of antidote to that obligatory batman versus i love batman <laughs> but <laughs> batman the joker action sequence where someone has to fall at the end neither of those two people die or are even transformed at the end all that happens is ethan hawk is slightly his character is just uh disillusioned a bit and it's like oh right yeah because it's real life it's based on real events nobody threw anybody off a tower at the end to hide the secrets of the government just got to go carry on doing his job with the slight disillusionment that his own government is uh the people that he works for you know he's got the american flag tattooed on his chest or probably or whatever they're um they're the ones that are perpetrating more crimes than this guy this white whale that he's fished you know that he's caught yeah yeah, yeah. does in does in a year they, yeah. they, they do it in a day. it's amazing yeah i think i think i think it's like it really like does and the film at this point as well when it cut it like cuts to that that kind of postscript of it really rams home the message of the film that like kind of like um people like yuri Olof or Victor Boot and stuff like that. Yeah, they are bad people, but the kind of the real bad are the are the people in charge. Do you know what I mean? Like they're 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 perpetrating this uh and do, doing all the stuff that Yuri Orloff is doing, but they're doing it and we're thanking them for it. And we're kind of saying to them like, well done, and like it's our it's our tax money that's going. Do you know what I mean? When you get that that uh, obligatory yearly breakdown of of what your what your tax money is going towards and it's kind of that that weird pie chart and it'll be like oh self like uh, like weapons and defense or whatever it's like yeah we're funding these kind of these yeah. shady deals to kind of arm these countries in their conflicts and to keep the kind of to keep us going in and stepping in and making sure we're the we're the big swinging dicks in the kind of western world and the the free world and stuff like that and yeah it's i think i i I think the thematically like it's a bit i don't know it's a bit kind of on the nose and stuff like that but i think and what's scary about the film is it it kind of feels weirdly timeless do you know what i mean it's like as much as yeah this is speaking of a specific time and speaking about the time in which it is made it's still prescient today. Stuff like this is definitely happening still, not only just in the Yuri Orloff case, but in the case of our own governments being involved in a kind of perpetration of wars in other countries. And yeah, like it's all, it's all. The icky. opportunism will always be there. Like um, just because he managed to get his hands on the Cold War uh, residual weapons, that's not to say that that's a, a strange uptick in history and everything else is going to even out it's just an opportunist throughout if it had been a different war if it had been the iraq conflict that obviously is sort of still happening but to a different extent then yeah it, it, you're right it's timeless because he's just an opportunistic 
force mm-hmm. for for gunmen and yeah there's there's no technological paradigm shift that's going to happen anytime soon that's going to make that obsolete yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Gun, gun, guns and bullets are still going to be kicking about like for people a, always going to have to eat and people always going to have to kill each other yeah the whole... perfect that feels that feels like a perfect place to wrap up the conversation on the film but as i close off i always do some uh closing questions they don't really mean anything but they're always a bit of fun uh does nicholas cage have bad hair in this film jordan no looks good in this one really good yeah it's like yeah it's, it's normally like the the films i don't know people tend to say uh nicholas cage when he has bad hair it's a bad film i think i think this one he's he's got it quaffed right he, it suits the character and he's, he's looking great uh so d- <laughs> this film like I, I guess with my next question does he do a voice which i what, what i mean by that is there's films like um vampires kiss or peggy sue got married where cage really puts on a voice uh and this kind of had there what i guess there would have been a discussion at one point of are they going to have ukrainian accents like uh but they steer, <laughs> they steer against it but yeah does he do does does he do something different with his voice and is it is it is it kind of off-putting or is it kind of fitting with the film i think it's it's just in character for sure yeah he's he's not uh he's he's a he's really low gear mm-hmm. for most of it emotionless divorce from humanity naturally because he of the the subject matter he's had to distance himself from it so i don't think he's i don't think it's an outlier on the nicholas cage (laughs) scale i don't think he's doing anything unusual it's it's within his wheelhouse perfect so uh i guess what a lot of people go to nicholas cage films for is a freak out do we get any anything resembling a freak out in this movie no, just one time where <laughs> he really caught me off guard. Right at the end, just before Vitaly dies and he goes to sell him and Andre Batista is there. He's like, no, this isn't for me. This is for those people in the West. You're going to Sierra Leone. So he's like, hey, uh, I thought I couldn't get your emails. Glad, glad the shipment's here. And then Nicholas Cage is like, where's my fucking money? <laughs> just out of nowhere. Like, all right, I get that you're angry, but that was really out of nowhere. And also when he's talking to his parents in his house, he doesn't give people time to react to stuff in this film at all. It's like, he goes, this is a really nice house. He's like, normally, this was what he should have done. He should have gone, right, so anyway, have a good time. Make yourself at home. Come on, guys, go. And he's like giving him a playful kick up the ass. He goes, make yourself at home. Go! Go now! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's odd. He doesn't, give, it doesn't, doesn't give anyone time to react in this film. Uh, but not nothing nothing that would even register on the normal scale of freakouts no definitely not um so based on this film alone jordan is nicholas cage the greatest actor of all time no <laughs> he does a good there's a good voiceover and he spends most of the other time smoking looking and hiding hiding <laughs> from gunshots uh, which he does all he does all of those very well but he didn't have to do very much uh, he, he just sat on his bum <laughs> and did voiceover Perfect. So, uh, yeah, that that draws us a close on Lord of War. And thank you so much for coming and raging with Cage with me, Jordan. Um, where can people keep up to date with you? Whether it is yeah, when you're doing with comedy and stuff like that. What's what what's, what does 2022 look uh, like for you? Is there, is there is is there lots of shows? Um, where can people keep up to date with those shows? Well, I promise 
to your listeners that I will try to keep things Nick Cage centric. <laughs> So that they haven't, they don't follow me for no reason. I do do a Nicholas Cage bit. There's a little bit of me doing it online. You can follow me at Tall Dark Friend across uh, uh, the traditional social media outlets: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Um, please, if you feel like it, you can always check out my uh, record-breaking sitcom uh, Transaction, which you can watch across all of Comedy Central's social media or YouTube if you fancy it. It's just me playing myself with a slightly different haircut. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is not in it, uh, but in, yeah, uh, yeah. So, a tall dark friend. Don't ask me what it means. I didn't know when I thought of it, and I don't know anymore. But that's <laughs> where I am. And uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, so nice to be really nitpickety about stuff like normally that you just wouldn't mention to anyone because uh, <laughs> you'd think it was too petty. But I'm glad we got to talk about it. Thank you for having me. This is a great podcast, and I look forward to uh, potentially speaking again if Nicholas Cage keeps making films. I'm sure. I'm sure until the until the sun burns cold, uh, Nicholas Cage will be making films. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, Jordan. Again, thank you for coming and raging with Cage with me. There we have it, guys. Lord of War with the fantastic Jordan Gray. And that marks the end of Cageuary. 2022 as i said in the intro don't worry i'll be back with some nick cage content throughout the year obviously we have the unbearable weight of massive talent coming we have maybe the old way maybe have butchers crossing i'm sure there'll be some films he hasn't even shot that will crop up at the end of the year who knows with cage he's a he's, he's a sly devil uh but uh i will be back next week of course with some coppola connections goodness uh, where I will be talking to Scott Murphy of the New Horror Express and 90s Action All the Time podcast, all about the 1990, I think. I can't remember. It's one of those weird ones where it was shot in the 80s and came out in the 90s uh, films. Rockula uh, with Jonathan Schwartzman. It's the DOP, his second ever job as DOP. It's a weird, wonderful, uh, musical comedy horror all about a vampire who has a curse on him that every 22 years has to um see the death of his loved one and uh yeah it's a weird one we obviously get it all into that on next week's episode so please do be sure to check that out if you'd like to support the podcast remember you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash cajun pod where right now you can listen to episode one of the brand new series movie brat bros where currently we are looking at all the films of brian de palma uh starting with phantom of the paradise where i was joined by daryl and jeanette bear and we really get into it it's a really great episode if you want a little tease of it uh you can look at the previous episode on the feed a little bonus episode i did which is the first 20 minutes a nice little nice little morsel of that episode and um as i said it's a lot of great fun and um i don't know i'm kind of patting myself on the back for this concept i think it's a a cool concept to pit uh movie brat directors against each other in this case i'm pitting all of them against francis ford coppola see if he's the big king dick or if there's there's somebody else who usurps him in kind of having more of a legacy and impact on cinema and uh but at the same time it's all just a bit of fun and excuse to talk about those movies <laughs> and uh, yeah brian de palma felt like a perfectly 
sordid uh, place to start and I'm having a lot of fun with these episodes. They will be fortnightly, I believe, uh, at the moment. I'm really trying to wrap my head around recording and balancing both, but I want to keep it fortnightly. Otherwise, uh, if I do it monthly, there is just going to be way too many. I'm just going to be doing it for ages on Brian De Palma and I kind of want to, I don't know, I, I, I want to keep the momentum up really really immerse myself in all of that and, but but this is stuff i could have thought about off the mic and uh, not wasted your time with it and as i said yeah you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash cajun pod to get that and sign up for the uh, movie brat bros tier or higher where you get access to that and uh, yeah you can get access to it for as little as three dollars or two pound fifty a month so it's not bad it's the price of what a coffee a decent coffee, if that. Do you know what I mean? Most decent coffees uh, are free, free quid. So this is less than that. This is less than less than a pint of beer in the pub. Less than a bus ticket to most places. Get on it. It's a lot of fun. Support the support me. Support these indie podcasters. We're out here trying to do our thing. And uh, yeah, and uh, I wanted to say as well a massive thank you to everybody who had such kind words to say about the Michael Zarnowski episode. It really does mean a lot to me. And um, I absolutely loved that episode. I love talking to Michael. It was kind of a uh, a bit of a dream come true in a weird way of obviously doing the pig cast and having the guy who that film came out of his brain. So for him to dig what I was doing and wanted to come talk about it, it, it was a really special thing uh if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to rate review subscribe on apple Podcasts, acast spotify wherever you're listening to this right now give it a spanking five stars and a nice little review let me know um who's your favorite coppola what's your favorite nick cage film just 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 let me know some stuff let me know let me know what you like about the podcast, what you don't. Uh, well, no, let me know what you like, if it's a five-star one. If you if you don't like something, obviously, it's less than five stars. But give it a five-star anyway. Let me know what you don't like. <laughs> or you can drop me an email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. All the socials as well, cagedinpod at g... Uh, no, it's just at cagedinpod. What am I talking about? On Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. So, as always, I've been Petrus Pat Silvers. I've been caged in. You've been amazing. And I'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.